Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. The podcast has a life of its own. Past. The past. The word is past. Right. Good poster. Striking poster. Where she's like. Yes. Right. right. She's <laughs> yes. sort of doing her. Looking her, up. Her ghosty pose. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, and, did, dress. and Danny Glover's beard is so good in this movie. That's pretty good. I was sad when he, he shaved it right off. It's a bummer. It's kind of the great tragedy of the film. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, I, but I remember as a, as a child when this movie came out, there was like a bookstore on the same block as my school that had the poster up for months leading up to when it came out and probably months after it had left theaters. Well, there's two posters. There's okay. this sort of spooky teasery one where she's like, "Yes, um, just the ghost," and that just kind of looks like a horror film in terms of the it design. Almost of the poster. looks like a horror film. Yes, just straightforward, right? Yeah. Right. And then there's the one that I can't find, but that is like my iTunes art. Yes, that's just like Oprah and Danny an Glover embrace. hugging. Yes, that seems like a movie with zero ghosts in it, and yes. mostly just a movie about nice people hugging and right. You know, is they 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 learn to love each other or whatever. That was the poster I walked by. What the hell is this one? There she is. She's there we go. Smoking. Yeah. What's this one? Oh, there's, yeah, there's that one. The oh. embrace is the one that I always walked by. Sure. And the thing I realized watching this movie, that yeah. is one of my absolute favorite looks. Go ahead. Person who still has color in their hair, but their beard is gray. Sure. So right, 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 right. Color on top. You're Chris Pines. Gray in the beard. Yeah, Chris <laughs> Pines. Mm. Mm. Danny Glover in this, when Colbert had his beard phase, mm. you know? You're right. I love that look. What's that phenomenon? I don't know. There's no Why does it go that. gray down here first? I don't know. Okay. But it's almost like a facial ombre. <laughs> I know it's a natural <laughs> occurrence, you know? But I like that, that shift in tones mm -hmm. between the top and the bottom of the head. Mm -hmm. It's pretty sexy. I support I it. I think I it's think, a hot look. I think Danny Glover is a, is a sexy guy. Yeah. I think he's a really handsome guy, yeah. and he's so charming in this movie. He is. He's in charming mode. He is. I mean, that's part of, like, a big part he's of his kinda, character. He's in kind of, his sort of aw shucks kind of mode, right? You know, his sort of, yeah, he's a gentle guy. But there's something very... He's good when he's scary, too. And also, I mean, very often he's uh, uh, annoyed. Grumpy. Grumpy. It is that crazy thing where, like, he was, like, 37 in Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and he's too old for this shit. Right. right. He was so hot in that movie. I oh, didn't so expect him to be so hot because I only watched it for the first time like last year. Yeah. And I expected this like old, ugly man, and he's just like in the tub, and I'm just like, God damn. He's looking great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, look, that's another thing about Dan Glover, one of our best bathtub actors. <laughs> he's got a good tub scene in this. It's too. true, he's got a tub scene in this. <laughs> but it is, it speaks to that thing. Like your your cultural understanding of the reputation of Lethal Weapon is he's too old for this shit. And right. then you watch the movie, and he is a pretty, in his prime, 37-year-old man who they put a little gray on. Right. So he looks like a fucking snack. I he mean. Does. He's at his physical peak. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to find out, is he actually younger than Mel Gibson? But he can't be. I think they were like. No, he's 10 years older than Mel Gibson. Okay. So he's he was yeah. older. Right. You should have said, I'm older. Yes. <laughs> he's I'm too older much older than you for this, shit. For this right. shit. Yeah. No, because that and Color Purple are his two breakouts. 
Uh, correct. And in both uh, of them, yeah. he was playing older than he was. Yeah, right. that's true. So he is one of those guys where it feels like you're like, shouldn't Danny Glover have died 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, no, he's actually only like 70-something. I think he's 73. Yeah. yeah. He's got a good 10 to 15 years left in him as yeah. like grizzled character actor, right. grandpa, you know, like you can just keep going to that well. Loved him and sorry to bother you. Loved him and sorry Great to bother that. you. Loved him in, um, what's it called, The Old Man and the Gun. Like yeah. anytime he pops up, I'm happy to see him. My my favorite, Beyond the Lights. Yes. Oh yeah, I forgot he was in that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, well, I mean, oh right, Last Black Man in San Francisco, he was in that. He's yes. actually oh, yes. been in a lot of stuff recently. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then we're, I mean, I, Griff, I mean, we don't have to, but we are supposed to go to the next level tonight. This is a great point. The next level. Well, by, the, by the time this episode comes out. This episode will come out, I think, in February. It will have already won Best Picture. But David and I have been cordially invited to experience. Take it to the next level. To take it to the next level of Jumanji. <laughs> it is in oh, our court. Oh, right. It's him and it's uh, uh, Danny DeVito. DeVito. Yeah. And it's two Ke- Dannys. Kevin the two Hart, old Dannys. Kevin Hart playing Danny Glover, which in the trailer seems to be a very good impression. Sure. Right. He's worked on and it. And The right. Rock playing Dane DeVito, which seems to be from the trailer, a very non-existent impression. <laughs> it's just him kind of going like, what? What are you talking about? He's doing like a standard like improv show version of a New York accent. Right. He's like, hey, what, what are you talking about? Come on. <laughs> um, that is all true. We're going to go to the next level. We're going to take it to the next maybe level. Maybe he's in it for five minutes. Maybe he's in it for, you know, two and a half hours. We don't know. Yeah. He was also in The Dead Don't Die. I believe with Caleb Landry Jones was his arc. Oh. Isn't he in the hardware store in that? I did not see I it. have not seen that. No. How was it? It's uh, it's it's not it's I don't know. It's it's not that great. But, but then was, maybe in 5 years Evan will be like, "What are you talking about? We all slept on that mask." David, what are you talking about? It's the greatest cast of a zombie comedy ever disassembled. Is was that the <laughs> one of the sweatiest taglines of all time? <laughs> From what I remember of the movie, which is already mostly sort of vanish uh-huh. um he owns a hardware store okay and he gets locked in it with caleb landry jones mm. and there's like hijinks they have some hijinks oh okay they're they're warding off zombies is that the idea yeah caleb um, landry jones that's the scary looking white man like yes. the true like wraith like you know yes. like if there was like a white beloved he could play it like where he just <laughs> looks like a ghost visiting you <laughs> I uh, walked past him. He has the very intense eyes. Yes. 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 Uh, I walked past him on the streets of L.A. a couple months ago. Okay. And he was scary looking. (laughs) Scary. He's one of those guys where you're like, maybe he turns it on for the camera. But he had uh, menacing energy. I'm sure he's a very nice man. Yeah. He was much bigger than I thought he would be. Uh, Okay. Taller and kind of built. Like he was like fairly broad shouldered. Let's not forget he was... Havoc? Banshee. Banshee. Yes, we was, I remember that he was an X-Men. Banshee and the X-Men. But it was one of those things where I, like, before I recognized that it was him, I was like, whoa, who is this? Is this guy going to knife me? <laughs> and then it was none other than Caleb Laundry back. Right, Caleb Laundry Jones. Yeah. Anyway, he's not in Beloved. He's not in Beloved. As far as nope. I know. No. Um, although a lot of people are in Beloved. A lot of people. Like, you're watching Beloved and you're like, oh, this person too. A lot, a lot of people yes. pop up. Yes. There's some pop-ins. Irma P. Hall. Yeah. Yeah. And Wes Bentley. Uh huh. For five seconds. Yeah. I thought about that a lot. Like this must have been one of his first films. Wes Bentley. Right. Uh, let's find out. Huh. His it's his first credit that you can click on in Wikipedia. Oh wow. my god. He has two short films before then. I think that's about it. So yes, his first film. Yeah. The balance of an American Beauty the next year. 
You, you, Wes, it's your agent on the phone. I got great news. We got an offer. It's Jonathan Demme directing a Toni Morrison book, produced and starring Oprah. Oh my God, incredible. What's your role? It's wordless. <laughs> sure. You only appear in flashbacks doing the most horrific things doing imaginable. A very, a, yes, yes. In a movie filled with uh, memories of horror. Yeah, but especially yeah. because it's like wordless. It must have been so bizarre. Okay, to- wait. So he's one of, is he one of the guys that like takes her breast milk? Correct. Is that Correct. him? Correct. Okay. Yeah. He's the school he's teacher's school nephew. Teacher's nephew. Okay. Is his credit, yes. <laughs> And then there's like one shot of his face just kind of staring after uh, she kills her baby. Yes. That's about it. And that was when I was like, that's definitely Wes Bentley. Yes. Right. Kind Which of is Wes Bentley's on screen energy. Anytime yeah. he's like even Interstellar or whatever, you're like, you're like oh, that looks like Wes Bentley over Wes here. Bentley. Right. Hunger Games. Mission Possible. Right. He's had a good little rebound run. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. He was good in Mission Impossible. I liked him in Mission Impossible. He was in Pete's Dragon. Right. Yeah. All right. Credit to him. Yeah. This is me kind of like saluting Wes Bentley. Pete's Dragon, directed by David Lowry, who will never come on the show again. Never appear on the show again. Was he on this show? (laughs) He was. He was. coming back. Or never. Sorry. Never. Never. Oh, okay. He was on this show. (laughs) He's definitely coming back. He was on this show. Um, And this show, of course, is Blank Check. Thank you. With... Griffin, and David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want, and sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce baby. And sometimes an even more powerful person who isn't a director (laughs) hands over their check to you. Sure, right. Uh, Because this is very much a blank check movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is very much Jonathan Demi movie, but it is much more of an Oprah blank check than it is a Demi blank check. Uh, yes, certainly. Yeah. 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 I guess I would say that, sure. She's throwing her, her you know. This was, this was her baby. This. this was the this thing was that she, she bought the rights to the script in 1987, the book, to make the script. Before it had won the Pulitzer. Right. I think right, right when before, it was published. She right got in early. Yeah. 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 And it took like 11 years to get it done. And, and yeah, this was her first movie she had done since The Color Purple on screen. Is that true? I, yes. yeah. Is that true? I am almost certain. I will double check. Yeah. Because um, I feel like that was the big reputation was like, oh my God, it's such a big deal. Oprah's making a movie again. Yes. She had been in a couple of TV movies. Oh, I'm sorry. She's also in 1986's. Native Son in a very small oh, role, yes, oh, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. 1986's Native Son. Also, um, she did, uh, yeah, this, like, television miniseries of a book, which I wrote a review on just this year and cannot remember. For are some you reason. talking about uh, There Are No Children Here? Is that no. the one? I'm trying to see what But from that time frame, from the 80s or the, the 90s? The Women of Brewster Place. Oh, yeah, where is that? Oh, yeah, here, yeah, yes. right, Brewster Place. Yes, and, wow. the, and there was a Brewster Place TV show that Correct. was short-lived. In the 90s. Yeah. And she played a character. She was pl- is she playing an old lady in that one? That's an old lady. <laughs> the she the loves 90s, well. man. Yeah. She loves playing an old woman. <laughs> She's very good at it. She, yeah, Let's she say. is. She, I feel like she is one of the more naturalistic playing an old person actors. Yeah. Janine and I were talking about this. She's mm-hmm. a good actor. 
I basically think always. I think that she's great. I also, I've been watching a lot of, I've been doing this piece on the decade in black film, which I'm saying it, even though hopefully it'll be published by the time this is out. Sure. Yep. And I watched the, but, I was watching The Butler and then I watched mm-hmm. this and I was just like, she is hot in both of these movies. Yep. That's my take. Yep. She's, pre- she's take. pretty she's hot take. in The Butler. <laughs> she's, really she's running hot. hot. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of a, you touch it and you're like, whoa. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. But like in the scene where she's meeting uh, Paul D again, played by Danny Glover, and mm-hmm. he like shows up on in her yard and she's barefoot and they're looking at each other. I was like, this is a hot scene. Yeah, that's true. And it is fun. Yeah, because we don't like Oprah on television, very maternal figure. People would come on and sort of talk to her about their feelings, their relationships, the hardships. Right. right? Yeah, you know. she's the person that Ellen comes out to. Yes. 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 Yeah. She was Ellen's therapist <laughs> on yes. the Ellen episode. Yeah. And, and 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 one could also argue she is the one who like anointed Ellen the new king of daytime. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. She, right. Ellen sort of became which the next Oprah. Which I don't know if that was a good thing, but right. you know it happened. It's, it's, questionable. What, it's what happened. But there was yeah, that Ellen, thing. I look, I never watched the Ellen show. Obviously, I mean I I don't Watch you don't watch it ever, Dad? <laughs> I mean, I don't have cable TV anywhere. I guess I could watch yeah. it if I really... But um, I will occasionally find myself watching a clip from the Ellen the Same show. here. And she's just... She's very salty. Like, she's got a real edge to her on yeah. air. Yeah, she yeah. does. I know she has a... You know, there's, there's an unspoken sort of thing that she's got a, a salty edge off air, too, uh-huh. or whatever. You know, yeah. there, there are just... Some, you see chatter on the internet sometimes. She's still got that, that stand-up Defense mechanism. I got to cut you before you cut me. Sure, right. That that very specific like like product of the eighties stand up club scene. hundred percent. And I know yeah. she like hangs out with George Bush and says we should all be nice people, and people get mad at her, and that's a, but that's they, a great conversation. We all to have. do that. We all <laughs> hang out with George Bush. It's a thing we all do. I mean, I love the video with her and Dakota Johnson. <laughs> yes, yes. yeah. Perfect. I was gonna say Melanie Griffith's daughter, <laughs> which is such yeah, right. an old lady way to describe her. But, I mean, that is one of the better films of 2019. It's right? it's, a, it's 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 a thrilling exchange. <laughs> it's it's, so it's a good. white knuckle ride. It's yeah. wonderful. I just can't. Be- I could not imagine going on somebody's show and just being like, "Oh, you didn't invite me to your party." Like, I run into people who didn't invite me to their party all the time, right. and You're I'm just like, be like yeah, well, I'm not gonna mention it. <laughs> But you know, you know 100% the reason Dakota Johnson did that is because it wasn't just that she didn't show up to the party. It was that she went and hung out with George Bush instead of going to the party. Oh, right. yeah. Right. When people um, triangulated, also, wait a second, let's look at the dates. As you're saying, yeah. as Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson's daughter, mm-hmm. she probably just has a kind of like, what are you going to do? Energy, right? Where it's like, right. I can say what I want you on can't Ellen. Touch me. Exactly. Yeah, I've I've. I've been in this shit my whole life. Right? I completed you know. the Fifty Gray Shades of Gray trilogy. She, did. she oh. was. She <laughs> Wait, I loved her. In those. Me too. She's great. She's pretty good. Wait, they finished the film. They made yeah, them. They finished yeah, them. They yeah. released them. They all made film. They I made have money. Seen all three of them. I have to say that I'm impressed that anybody managed to get through all three books. They, made, they did it. They did it. I got so bored. Did you read any of the books? I read the first one and tried to read the second one. I mean, the and first I was one so is bored. <laughs> the first one is. Terrible. So I feel like it only goes out from there. But Fifty Shades Darker, the movie, one hundred percent wonderful time in the theater. I believe that is the second movie, right? Yeah, which is the plot, the least plotty. That's it's, the one where it's just a lot of crazy stuff. It's also the one where there is a Chronicles of Riddick poster yes, in the background right. of and the I scene. That. that was an amazing time in, at the movies. Like we were all just like audibly saying, "Is that Chronicles of Riddick?" What? 
I felt very close to everyone in the movie theater. Part of the Riddick verse. <laughs> now, you you host a podcast. I do, yeah. Our guest, Jordan. Oh, Jordan Searles. Yes. Jordan I'm Searles. sorry, we didn't introduce yes. you. Yes. Hi. You host a podcast called Bad Romance that yes. is about bad romances in movies. Yes. How, what is your view of Fifty Shades of Grey as a phenomenon, <laughs> as a thing, especially as a cinematic adaptation? Because I I had a very – I only saw the first one. I made a very snap opinion, a snap judgment, and in the last couple of months, I've actually been rethinking their place in culture a little bit. I mean, the first one is very much like it, it was uh, Sam Taylor Johnson, Correct. I believe, and she didn't really get along with E.L. James, right. and the right. way that she made the movie was kind of like, <laughs> she almost made the movie in a way where it's like she didn't like the book, and it was right. really clear that it was made by right. somebody who didn't like the book, yes. so when they switched directors um, to, to Fifty to Shades James Duck, Foley, I believe, <laughs> yeah. did the other two, right. Um, yeah, so the first one is like, kind of like a criticism of the first book, but <laughs> right. it's a weird criticism because it still has to move through all of the plot conventions of it. It should, like, it's doesn't really work as a criticism and also doesn't really work for the book either. It's really weird. But the other two are just like exactly what those books were meant to be, which is just just crazy thrillers just, with spanking and helicopters. And also just like, just like power yeah. just like this fantasy like i love the way that um dakota johnson gets in the last two where she just like becomes more and more confident and more and more just like this wealth belongs to me <laughs> she gets <Fair>. so <laughs> into it ellen like, must attend my party and in the and in the third one especially there's like a woman that's like uh who's designing their house and it's an architect designing their house and the woman like talks to Christian and doesn't talk to her and kind of just like treats her like a trophy wife or whatever and then sure. Dakota like pulls her to the side and excuse me my name is Mrs. Gray and you oh, need to back up wow. off my husband and I'm just like all right do, do they also, get married in two or three um I don't think I think they get married in three yes no okay. apparently they get married at the end of two yeah three begins Honeymoon. With their honeymoon. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. Uh, Rita Ora, of course, is in all three. Which yes. Rita Ora and those movies, just looking As... for the plot, looking for some kind of thread. She plays his sister? She's his sister. She? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Kim Basinger, I believe, is in the final two. Right, the, and she the plays evil, the woman. Uh, taker of his virginity. Marsha right. Gay Harden plays the mom. Hell yes. In a very <laughs> strange right. performance. See, yes. I only saw the first one, and my takeaway was, I hate this book. Which it's interesting that that's your explanation of the first movie because I did not read the book, but watching the movie made me hate the book. Yeah, because it feels like the movie is trying to make you hate the book. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Right. That's why E.L. James got her fired. Right, kind of sneering. And at the, the thing book. I found right, fascinating right. about the movie, while not liking it, was that it felt like a filmmaker trying to sort of do what Coppola did with The Godfather. Which sure, is like he's like, this is junk, but it's pulp. Yeah. I want to use this like pop culture phenomenon to like. Trojan horse and a bunch of things I'm interested in around this theme. Right. But we live in an era now where the writer of the book gets complete approval over every fucking prop and every element of set dressing. Right. And Yellow James apparently just didn't let her do anything. I mean, the ending is still one of the funniest endings ever because he just like gives her like a few spankings like with his hand and she's just like, no, right. I can't handle right. this. That's <laughs> the first movie just ends with he spanks her one time and she's like, I'm out. And she I'm like, gets this in is an the elevator. end of the film? The end of the movie, she, she gets in an elevator and says, I'm done and right. the doors close. And, and then it, like the movie literally basically is like, check in next year for part two. Like it's not like the movie is like, 
like, and that's that. But the other crazy you know thing is more. that scene has happened ten times over the course of the film some, you've just watched. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's a weird thing because a lot of people I know got really upset about it because of its uh, like wrong portrayal of BDSM. But the thing about right. the books is it's that treating they're his not, kink as an, an illness. They're right. not yes. about BDSM. Right. They're just right. like right. about this guy who does not know how to love a woman right. without it. Can you it. change a yeah. man? And once and once they're like settled and married, they don't even really do it anymore. <laughs> Right, yeah, I mean, right, he, right. right. It he, becomes about all this other shit. Yeah. And him having helicopters and Kim Basinger. And, so it right. just like seems like Rita a per- Like, it just seems like it was written by a person that like hasn't had any interesting sex and it shows <laughs> and I just don't. I think she has new books. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure she does. I mean, it must be easy when you don't really edit. So can I just say congratulations to the fan fiction community for their accomplishment? It is pretty incredible. The mister. Yeah. The The mister. I try. That's what it's called. I was listening to the mister on on audiobook and I just could not. Who does the audiobook? Does she do it? No. It's like just like actors. actors. But the mister is. (laughs) 512 pages, which is close to double the length of Beloved. I truly. (laughs) Yeah. It's like 320. Yeah. Maybe 350. Yeah. like that. Beloved is like a, like a nice, like not too long of a book, but every couple pages is just like full of so much emotion Her and imagery and trauma. <laughs> yeah, 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 and like, yeah, yeah. like even like when I was reading The Bluest Eye, which is probably like her shortest book, it still took me a really long time just because like every page, like I had to put it down and I had to be like, okay, I need to think about what I just read and I then pick up the book again. The problem with, as this is the problem with so many great American authors is, that her books are often foisted on, you know, kids in high yeah. school and they're tough. They're they're challenging reads. They're, you know, something as you say, you sometimes need to sit with or you need to be sort of like held, you know, guided through. Yeah. And so kids think of her as this like broccoli author. You know, like, ah, yeah, I had to read, you, you know, know, okay. No, but she's song so song, but, but she's so good. She's so good. And and I was gonna say, I don't know if it's just my weird taste or whatever, but I, I was a kid who, despite uh, uh, liking words and books, yeah. uh, was so anti-school sure. that I usually resented any book I was assigned. Right, right, right. And I remember Song of Solomon being like one of the books in high school where I was like, I enjoy reading this. Right. I am reading this for pleasure. I am reading this out of enthusiasm. Page yeah. Right. Uh, that was like one of the ones that gripped me and that stood out after high school where I didn't throw away my copy, you know? <laughs> Throw away your copy. <laughs> burn it. <laughs> You're burning books. I burn any book I don't like. Right. Um, but uh, but I never read Beloved. I bought it five days ago because I was like, oh, I should probably read it before the show. And then made it ten pages in and was like, I'm not going to finish this in five days. Oh. You were trying to read Beloved just like. No. I'm a pretty fast reader. Sure not. I had not read Song of Solomon in the, 16 years. It's very tough to like like sort of try and skim read her book. Exactly. I forgot, I forgot yeah. how dense her I language is. I haven't read a Morrison book. But it was one of those things where I was like, I'm not going to speed read this for the sake of saying I read it before the no, podcast. Sure, sure. I, I will put it on my shelf and read it. It in full. I kind of feel like this kind of story would probably be best either for a mini series or mm-hmm. a very like liberal adaptation that sure. kind of like um, goes through, you know, kind of more of the emotional beats than not necessarily like all of the story beats. Because it does, I, and you, you, I think you've probably read the book more recently than I, but like the, the movie is trying to just 
get it all in there. Yeah, and I don't really think that it works, especially in scenes where, like, okay, so we're in a scene, and then we kind of see a flashback where we're not fully in the flashback. It's like we're getting, like, a preview of it. Yeah, the opening of this movie is very aggressive. Yes. Yes, yes. Anyway, carry on, sorry. Yeah, and so it, yeah, it just seems like there's... It's like it doesn't seem like Demi really understood what to do with the backstory. Sure. And so it just kind of like feels jarring and kind of like takes the poetry out of it a lot of the time. And it's also I mean, I get this a lot. I feel this a lot with like uh, men, like directors portraying anything having to do with slavery. But it's just like so it's such a (laughs) weird um, version of it that doesn't really take its time Mm. to really like get into the emotions of the situation. And the emotions is what the root of this story is. It's about, you know, the trauma of slavery and like how it continues to stick with you. Right, haunt. Yeah, and so it's like you can't just like show us like a flashback and be like, we got it. (laughs) Yeah, I think the flashbacks are the roughest. Right, I agree with you. Like the sort of roughest portion of this movie. It's not a bad movie. There are things about it. It's an odd duck of a film. Odd thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, Had you ever seen it before, Griffin? I had never seen it before. Had Had either of you seen it before? Yeah, I watched it like as a kid, and I was just like, this is weird and bad. (laughs) But Um, I saw it again. Did you see it like when you were reading the book? Uh, I, I saw it in high school when I was reading. No, yeah. I didn't read the book until I was an adult. So. Oh, interesting. So you had seen the movie first. Yeah. And then you read the book fairly recently. I don't yeah. know how, yeah, I don't know how this movie, it's crazy to think about this movie just coming out yeah. anyway. Because, um, yeah. But um, This is but, the kind of thing that needs kind of like a rollout, like yes. kind of like a Barry Jenkins, like I'm about to ease you into this giant thing. Right, right. It, it feels like a crazy thing for people to have just been like, beloved, I don't know, what is it? Let's go. It's like let's a period all, ghost movie? Let's all go watch and, it. And like just sitting down and watching this movie and like, you know, how do you, it's a tough movie to unpack. And it, yes. and it was like, I feel like its main selling point was, Oh, anytime Oprah picks a book, people go gaga for it. Mm. This is the greatest Oprah's book club of all time. Oprah herself right. is making the movie and putting herself in it, her big return as a film actress. Right. Like the Oprah endorsement stamp is the whole thing. But it is this strange film that it's like an $80 million Disney financed. Yes, it's a Disney film. The only adaptation of like one of the most canonical, is a crazy amount of crazy money. amount of money for I and mean, this movie doesn't look like it costs eighty million dollars. No, it does not. It looks most fine. of it takes place in the house. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just it's a wild, it, it's a big yeah big budget. And the fact that this is the only Tony Morrison, the only only Tony Morrison adaptation. This yeah. is uh, <laughs> is that part of it? Has she just mostly not sold yeah. the rights to her books? I, I think that's the case. Because obviously Oprah optioned this book. Yeah. Apparently wrote her a personal check for $1 million, which I'd love it if Oprah wrote me a personal check for $1 million. Yeah, and even after this movie, nice. I'm pretty sure Toni Morrison was like was at peace with the movie, which I don't know how much of that is just like, I like my friend Oprah, or how much of it is this right. this actually works for the material. I, don't, I wonder which, right. I mean, I, I think authors are usually pretty judicious about like, not getting too mad unless they decide to go yeah. hard be, and be like, no, it sucks, right? Like do a Stephen King and yeah. the Shining Sorry. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, she she was polite about the movie as far as in a publicly, right? And, yeah, uh, she was. And, and this also feels like a movie that is. I don't think. The, go ahead. Two, two very skilled, very powerful people trying their earnest hardest to do right by the book. They're not taking any radical yes. swings at changing it, right? No. Right. 
Um, so that probably in and of itself pleased her. And the fact that like Oprah spent 11 years trying to get it right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I get, it ending up with Demi is such an interesting, like I've watched. This is the thing I've been trying to figure yeah. out. This is because like, you know, my favorite Demi movies are like something wild, yeah. married to the mob, like more that kind of stuff, Rachel getting married. And so him doing this, there's just really nothing in like his, his oeuvre that, well, that points to this for me. In a way. And then when I started watching it, I kind of understood where, because Oprah was the one who just said, Demi's who I want, right? She offers it to is him. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, because I was trying to figure this out. Because this movie yeah. gestated for ten years. Yes. It was and very much. I have Oprah's to assume choice. past. I'm surely other act- directors had maybe been involved at some point if it was sort of gestating. But for I long. feel like the big thing w- was her constantly hiring new writers to try to adapt it. <laughs> sure. I mean, I might be wrong in this, and I was digging into try to find history, but it seemed like so much of the stop and start was obviously Oprah had a day job that was pretty time consuming. Right. And she didn't want to get the movie off the ground, even try to get it off the ground until she felt like the adaptation was right. Right. And like Richard LeGravenez wrote on it. Yes, Adam Brooks, yes. Yes. Rewrite guys. There is a coffee table book called Journey to Beloved in which she describes the process of making Beloved by yeah. Oprah Winfrey. I have not read it. But I know, I feel like so much. Now I want to read it. Yeah. So much of even at the time when people were like, why is a white man directing this film? Sure. Oprah was constantly saying, like, this is who I chose. This is who I wanted. I felt like he was the best person to do it. Obviously, at the time, he is a very major director. He had made two films that decade. Uh, That's what's so weird about this. Lambs, obviously, This is 1998. Huge hit, and Philadelphia was— It's his first uh, film since Philadelphia, six years earlier. He's made a lot of documentaries in between. But this is Uh, his first fiction film in six years. His two previous films were major Oscar players. Yes. So to a certain degree— this is his weird 90s trilogy of, like, Oscar-y films. That's true. Like, the serious, prestige Jonathan Demme. Right. Except all three of these films are very strange. Very different And do each not other. play as conventional oscar movies. So I think, to her mind, A, he seemed like one of the big, serious guys. Um, and, and to another point, to a certain degree watching this, especially the first 30 minutes, which leans so much more into the horror of everything— you kind of see why she would want to hire the Silence of the Lambs guy to make this movie. There's stuff like in the mm. beginning of the what, uh, the red light. I love yeah. the red light. Oh yeah, no, that's great. That's an incredible little moment. Yes. And you know, a lot of the early stuff with uh, Danny Glover is really good, and his chemistry with Oprah is really good, yeah. which is probably why you picked her. Even though, like in terms of the book. Danny Glover is actually a really weird choice, in my opinion. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, maybe it's just like a like a black thing, but like the way that Paul D is described in the book, like part of the reason why women love him so much is because he's very, very like light skinned and uh, kind of like a like a Michael Ely kind of right, looking sure, person. Sure. He's more pretty, right? Whereas he's Danny pretty. Glover is like sort of a big, broad guy, yeah. right? Yeah. So he's more fatherly. Like he yeah. is right. more like someone you you know sort yeah. of take you into his embrace, right? So it was interesting. Like it, it was it makes Paul D come off differently than mm. he does in the book because in the book he just kind of reminds me of a uh, 
Somebody that would wear a zoot suit if zoot suits had been created at the time. <laughs> right, right. Because in this, it feels like he's just a charisma guy. Not right, that he's yeah. not good looking, but the whole power of this guy is there's something about him. He's so engaged. His and eyes magnetic. are what's really sexy about him. Oh, his his eyes are unbelievable. In yeah. This he's kind of got like like Disney cartoon animal eyes. He does. Like his eyes are just so round. Right. You and know? You can just see so much of the emotion in his yes. face. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, like, he's like he's like up for the job, but that's our, that's an interesting thing. Um, it's especially interesting when his interactions with, like, Denver, um, played by Kimberly Elise, who I yes. think is really good in this She's movie. She's terrific. And She's I remember really at the great. time the narrative being a little bit like... She was kind of the breakout. Here's, like, a major theory. new star. Yeah. Right, right. We're going to have I'm, Kimberly Elise. I'm kind of upset that she didn't really break out. Like, she... I mean, a lot of the roles that she's she, had just, she like... She had been in Set It Off already. The year right. before? Yeah. And she's so great in yeah. Set It Off. She's great. Right. Great movie. I, I want to talk about her for a second, because I think she this is make a an lot interesting of career arc. And I think partly maybe because it's, you know, literally, at the, especially at the time, just tough to get good vehicles as I mean, a young I, black I, actress. I mean, as I've been doing this um, this research on the black films of the decade and mm-hmm. why more black films are um, nominated for Oscars and everything, um, part of it is that, like, there really weren't a lot of roles for black women right. during that time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, aside from, like, in 2000s, you kind of got some rom-coms and things, but um, mostly in the 90s, it was like... Waiting to exhale, right. set it off, yeah. um, whatever side role in like juice or menace to society. Yes, sure. right. But those are hug. like small right. roles, right? Right. And then there's just it's like just the like stuff. yelling at someone. Right. right. And then there's stuff on the fringes, like Just Another Girl in the IRT and the Watermelon Woman that people didn't even really talk about until. Indie movies. While, yeah. yeah. Just and Another so, Girl in the IRT is so good. Yeah, it is. And so she, I feel like there just wasn't really anything. And then, like, it wasn't until really, like, Tyler Perry um, with right. Diary of a Mad Black Woman, I think, in 2004. She, five, yeah. She's which she's in. Right. She's really she's good the in the Isn't she? Right. So yeah. She's the titular She's the mad black she's woman. She's the mad black woman. Yeah, she's really great. Yeah, it's a weird thing where I feel like there can only be, she has a certain look where there can be only so many of her at once. And I also mm-hmm. think that a lot of her thunder was stolen by Tandy Newton, which is yeah. really funny considering That's that I kind of think that Kimberly Elise is the better actress. It's interesting. I mean, and, and Tandy Newton does pretty quickly go from this to, you know, booking your Mission Impossible 2s and you know, your sort of big role. Well, big right. She, yeah. they, she, they sort of chose her to be the next one. But then yeah. we talk about in our following. She had a co- weird career. Episode. Right. We talked yes. about in the Truth About Charlie episode. right? That, that she ends up coming back around to being sort of a character actress, which is her better zone. Yeah. And yeah. you watch, like, the, the degree to which she, like, digs into this character. Right. Which is not a part that most ingenues would want to take, which speaks to the fact that I don't think she thought about positioning herself as an ingenue, which Hollywood then did. Right. The Kimberly Elise thing, which I think is fascinating, is that, like, set it off as such a breakout. Yeah. And this is presumed to be this big Oscar player. Yes. She's the only one who kind of gets traction off of this. She gets, like, a critics award. She gets a couple critics awards. Yeah. 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 And people thought, and then the movie just didn't really connect. Right. And then she's kind of in, like, a nether space for, like, she's a couple of years. She's in She's in John Q. You know, she's right. in, you know, I think these are sort of thankless, like, yeah. wife roles. Yeah. Right. Like that. But then her revival, weirdly, is, and, and to some degree, she was too early on this. It's Dire of Mad Black Woman right. and Woman Thou Art Loose, yes. which yeah. are the first two, like, big... Christian movies to cross over into the mainstream. And like inspirational yeah. sort of like yeah. 
it's you know she and she's in both, great in both of yeah, them. Yeah, she's playing people who are like in bad relationships yeah. and yeah. dealing with toxic things, and they're like overcoming. But she them. kind of like anointed that new genre, at least in terms of like being a crossover success, where those two movies were like actual mainstream box office performers. Right. Yeah. Whereas like faith based films had not performed that way before. But it does. It speaks to like so. This was the first poster for Diary Matt Black. Yes. Right. Where it's like it's, uh, she, a it's woman her head uh, and she's turning a flower. into a flower. Yes. If you remember, like she's sort of. Yes, I remember and it, that. And one. that was the sort of the, those initial Tyler Perry movies always had that a more impressionistic poster. There would be two different yeah. takes. And There'd then be the there comedy was, poster and the As the movie was poster. going crazy, like, yeah. right, there was the Medea who has a gun. Pointing a gun at right. the title. And yeah. then as the Tyler Perry verse sort of went on, it was mo- they would more just usually just be like wacky posters with a lot of big Medea became a on. franchise. Um, but they were pretty smart in terms of understanding. I mean, that that is the juxtaposition of all Tyler Perry movies is you have very broad comedy and these like and very like, sort of like character melodramas. I do, I do melodramas. love the flower posters though. Oh yeah, no. Uh, the flower posters, fantastic. Um, I think there was one for Daddy's Little Girls. There's a flower yeah, one. That's, yeah, that's, I've got to find yes, that poster. Yes, yes. That's legitimately good. Idris Elba, Gabrielle Union, so good in that. I have not seen every Tyler Perry movie, but, but yeah, I have seen that one. I think, I think in general when it comes to Black act, black actors, and specifically black women, you kind of have to hitch your wagon to um, Lee Daniels, Tyler Perry, yeah. Oprah, or I guess Ava soon is kind of like. And right, right. I think There's a lot of flowers. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and uh, they. Um, and she just didn't, she, I mean, it's weird. She was there at the ground floor and it's like we moved into the later 2000s and she yeah. just got forgotten. That's what's interesting is I feel like she was this like trailblazer in terms of like, I, I think to do a faith-based film was not seen as a good career move for a legitimate actress at that point in time. Yeah. Right. And she does the two that break out and then suddenly everyone realizes, oh, let's jump in the water. Right, right. And she kind of gets pushed out of it. And it's yeah. interesting because there are so many, like Viola Davis was in Medea Goes to yeah, Jail. Right. <laughs> like there's so many, uh, yeah, Gabrielle Union's in there. And Taraji P. Henson talks Taraji, about like. Yeah, Taraji's in multiple. Like ones, she, she had gotten the Oscar nomination and no one was giving her lead parts and right. she was like Tyler Perry was the only person who would give me a lead role who raised my quote, quote sorry in yeah. Hollywood and then I suddenly was viewed as a leading lady and like it became this like clear career path for everyone to do it became the equivalent I feel like for black actors of like white pretty actors doing a Sundance indie to be like wait I can actually act right, give me an Oscar right. it became a thing to like show your sort of bona fides I gotta give you the next three thankless wife roles that Kimberly Elise was oh handed okay. post Diary of a Man okay. yeah. she should have in like inspirational yes. okay. uh, um, you know uh, biopic like true story film because those two movies she is the she, lead she, she is, is the titular absolutely. character she's also in the mentoring candidate at, at, right right the supporting role yeah um, uh, Pride which, if you Ooh, don't remember, Bernie the Terrence, Mac and Terrence Howard swimming. Yes, the, that the one. swimming movie, a swimming drama. Yeah, uh, in which I think she plays like the wife. I would imagine. Uh, then the Great Debaters, the Denzel Washington uh-huh. movie, uh, in which I think she plays some a mom, maybe sure. something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, and this is the one I did not remember. She played Ben Carson's wife in Gifted Hands, the Ben Carson <laughs> oh, story, oh the TV God. movie where Cuba Gooding Jr. plays Ben Carson. Oh. Now wow. Secretary of uh, Housing, yes. Ben Carson. Wow. And now she, wasn't she, I'm trying to think, I think I saw her in something recently and I was shocked. I think it was Ad Astra. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. yes. She's in Ad Astra. <laughs> she dies she's, in Ad Astra. She's one of the nice 
people on the ship on yeah. the night where they're like, it's really great to have you on board, Brad Pitt. And he's like, happy to be here. Yeah. And by the end of it, they're all dead. Is, is yeah. that the... Because he doesn't know how to talk to anybody. Is that the baboon ship? No. no. She's on the, like, the ship that takes them... That, that docks with the baboon. Yeah, right. she has okay. a whole crew okay. and the yes. entire crew dies. And then he has yes. to like commandeer it and by the end of it, they're all dead. Right. And it's just because his daddy never taught him how to fucking communicate. Oh my God, that <laughs> movie is so... Um, Love Kimberly Elise. No, yeah, I love her. Like I, oh my god, like I'm, I am nobody, but I would love to just like write a screenplay and just be like, can I just get this in her hands? Can we give her but, something you know what to do? The crazy thing is, I mean, you say you say you're nobody, which is not true. Uh, you're a very respected writer, uh, but uh, I I feel like very often people like that, where you're like, this actor's so good, no one writes good parts for them. I wish I could write something for them. It could never get through to them. A, it's easier to get through to them than you think. And B, they are so excited that someone's writing a part for them that they would do it. You know? Like, I feel like um, Ryan Coogler talks about that with Michael B. Jordan, where, like, he wrote Fruitvale Station, and he was like, man, I'd love to, like, get this guy, but I assume he's, like, inundated with offers. And he sent the script to Michael B. Jordan, and Michael B. Jordan was like, no one has ever offered me a lead role before. I've been acting since I was 11. Yeah, on The Wire, yeah. Yeah, and he was like, I, I never and, – and Kugler was like, I assumed you were just choosy and turned down stuff. And he's like, right. no, no one was ever Get letting me here. be a lead. Right. No one even threw it by me as an option. Well – Yeah. I, let's get Kimberly Elise yeah, back in movies. Let's do that. I mean, and uh, I guess I guess Tandy Newton, we should probably talk about let's her. Let's talk yeah. about her. Tandy Newton, of course, she, British – she yes. um she's an actress who I had I mentioned this before we started recording but my relationship with her was just that like I was convinced she was bad right. for such a long time like I would watch her in a bunch yeah. of things and she was bad in them and then I watched Westworld which she's great so in. fucking good in Westworld and I'm just like okay well then what's been going on all this time so I want to talk about Tandy Newton yeah a British yeah. actress as I said um I believe uh, her mom was a, a Zimbabwean princess her dad is like. A lab tech, uh-huh. born in London. Uh, her name means beloved. It's all over the That's IMDb trivia page. Wow. Um, <laughs> and uh, the f- the first thing I feel like the first things that I knew her in. I guess she's in Into the Vampire. I don't remember her in that. She is. She's on um, one of the maids okay. in a, when they're in the mansion. I think she gets killed. She gets they suck her blood. It's been a while since I saw that one. Yeah, right, and then she's she like played- the only black person in it. <laughs> and racism. Uh, um, then, then she's in Jefferson in Paris playing Sally Hemings. Okay. That movie that, is insane. I have never seen it. Uh, it's, a, it's a merchant ivory movie. It's it was a big movie. So Nick weird. Nolte is Thomas Jefferson. It's weird. Like, it's, yeah. like, it's like a love triangle between Nick Nolte, Tandy Newton, and I believe Gwyneth Paltrow. I, mean, I think it's Greta Skocky, or uh, however you say her yeah. name. As, uh, but let's find out. It's... Uh, no, no, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. It is. Gwyneth Paltrow. And I just remember being Gwyneth like... Gwyneth Scott, is in it, but not... not yeah. <laughs> I just remember thinking, oh, whose idea with this? And also just like, why is it a romance? Why is the Sally Hemming story a romance? Right. That's it, not The poster is very much... Yes, here, like, it looks like a... I'm going to find you the poster, because I really like it. You see Tandy Newton, like, listening in on the other side of the door, being so like... There. Uh oh, you know, sort of like, what's going on? Jeez. This that was a movie. movie. It was yes. like an Oscar-y play, but it was a bomb. Yeah. But yeah. so she was in that, that she's on the poster. I mean, it's yeah. a big film. Yeah. Um, and then after that, she's in Gridlocked, uh-huh. which is a good movie. Yeah. Um, but 
she's kind of really big in it in my memory. Like sort of really over the top. She can which be she can sometimes very be. theatrical. Yes. Which sometimes suits the material very well and, and sometimes then she does not. overdoses in the movie very quickly, I believe, because that's sort of part of the plot. It's uh-huh. a good movie. I like the movie. Yeah. Um, and then she's in this. Below. Okay. And then right after this, Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. And then Truth About Charlie. Uh-huh. Chronicles of Riddick. Uh-huh. And then I think, and she also had a big arc on ER okay. as Noah Wiley's wife. Yeah. He meets her when he's like doing good in Africa and they have a whole up and down she was on ER a lot. Oh, interesting. She has like a Never stillbirth. Never watched that show. There's all kinds David's of- David's favorite show. Anytime, I love ER. Anytime she showed up in ER, you'd be like, fuck. Because it was like always the most depressing storylines. Yeah. Like she was just there for like the show to be sad and for Noah Wiley to cry and for her to cry. E- ER was like the one TV show my mom watched. My mom was fairly anti-TV. Right. Without throwing the TV out the window and banning TV from our homes. Right, right. And that was the one show she watched that was a big deal. And every so often I would go see a movie with my mom and an actor would come on screen. She'd go, ugh. And I'd go, what? And she'd go, oh, they had a terrible arc on ER. Like I felt sure, through right. osmosis that thing of when ER spent eight episodes on a really annoying plot line. My mother would hold it against that actor for the next 10 years. That's how I was with Beverly Hills 90210. Fair. <laughs> I think fair. things that have like kind of like overdramatic soap opery arcs like that, you tend to blame the actor for corrupting your show. Yeah. For taking the show hostage. Yeah, definitely. Um well and then and then she gets ends up in like the thankless zone of like uh pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness, Norbit. Norbit she is the we, object of desire we in Norbit. About this. Cuba Gooding Jr. and Eddie Murphy are we wrestling We talk about over this in her. our next episode. That re- is the most thankless role of all time. I refuse to watch it. But in the middle of all that, there is Crash. Yes. Obviously, which gets her a BAFTA nomination. Uh-huh. Another movie. <laughs> Doesn't she, she win the BAFTA? She wins the BAFTA. She wins Best Supporting Actress. Yes. That's another movie where yeah. she's really big, in my opinion. She's really. Yeah. She is doing a lot. A lot I of mean, people are in that everyone movie. Everyone's is. pretty big. Right? Terrence Howard is doing a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, Terrence Howard is also another one that's always doing a lot. I've never seen Terrence Howard just chill in a movie. I mean, the, the Tanny Newton performance from this era that I really like, which is also very big. And thus, very divisive, but I think is really good. Yeah, is her as Condoleezza Rice in W? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't agree with you. I think she's the one That's person like who's on impression. the right wavelength. Yeah, I like how cartoonish. No, she the is. person who's good in W is Elizabeth Banks for some reason. Oh, Banks is also good in that. that I movie have not is seen stupid. it. Stupid. That movie does not exist. <laughs> that is astounding. That we don't talk about that. That the year that he was still in he was office, still president. his final year in office, <laughs> Oliver Stone made a weirdly. A political, yeah, weirdly sympathetic George W. Bush movie where it's like, look, he's a stupid guy. What can you do? But the movie is just what would make this guy run for president? It's just him being like, ah, oh, shucks, I'm sure stupid. And then Richard Dreyfuss is Dick Cheney, and he's like, what if we were evil? Like it's he's kind like, of like a over Gardner narrative, right? And then like in interviews, Richard Dreyfuss would be like, Dick Cheney's a fucking asshole. And we'd yeah. be like, we, we get it, you don't like the guy, you know? Dreyfuss is insane in that movie. He really? is on one. I need, to, I need to watch bizarre. it. I mean, I saw Vice, so I feel like I should just. Complete I mean, it. W is better than Vice. Oh, thank God! Right, it kind of by default. I mean, the only person that sure. I think is good in Vice is Tyler Perry. I agree with you. <laughs> thank you. He's better than Jeffrey Wright is in that role in W. And I love Jeffrey. Yes, Wright. I think Jeffrey, but Jeffrey Wright Wright's is kind of hangdog. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he doesn't really. Yeah, yeah, I believe we. I make the same point in next week's episode. The only other person I think is good in W is Allison Pell. 
Okay. Anyway. No, you're saying vice. In vice. You mean vice. Sorry. Sorry. Enough. <laughs> the point is, the point is, Tanny Newton, I think, has somewhat of a, a phenomenon that we love on this show. You get angry when I use an example, but I think he is a good example. The Colin Farrell syndrome, where someone is a very magnetic, skilled actor who is also incredibly attractive, and everyone goes, oh, they're a movie star. And they kind of flounder when you put them in movie star roles. Sure. And they're only good when you let them do weird shit. Yes. They need to have a lot of weird shit to lom onto, and Uh if not— then they're putting way too much into what should be a pure presence role. Yeah, I agree. I just watched Roman J. Israel last night, which I love. Great movie. We're all on board here. Um, And Colin Farrell in it. I'm just like, can't he just be in movies like this? (laughs) My favorite actor alive. Right, but then you watch, David and I disagree on this, but you watch something like Dumbo, and you're like, he's doing too much shit in Dumbo. No, Tandy Newton's daughter's in Dumbo. She's the star. That is true. Yeah. And you spend half the movie being like, this girl is familiar looking, and then you're like, oh, it's Tandy Newton's daughter with the director of Mamma Mia. She looks like a young clone of Tandy Newton. Yeah. Tandy Newton is married to the director of Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Yes. Our finest filmmaker. Paul Parker. Yeah. So good. Um, so, but yeah, um, I should. I want to point out the the Tandy Newton performance that made me think that I was a bad that she was a bad actress, and it's her performance in For Colored Girls, and really like sure. everybody's kind of Tyler playing Perry's to their to their. Oscar Tessa play. Thompson is really great in For Colored Girls. She's like yeah, the yeah. only person where I'm just like she's fantastic. Kimberly Lee is in that too, right? She, she is. That is she the is. one time right. Tyler Perry brought her back. Well, she yeah. and what a, and that's a thankless role. Wow. He yeah. kind of brought a lot of his collaborate, like Janet Jackson's in that uh, with Goldberg, Felicia Rashad, yeah. Uh, Loretta Devine's in there. It's, it's his Avengers. Carrie Washington, a little bit. Yeah. Except he's taking a play that's a series of monologues and turning it into a movie. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Damn, it, was, it was a big swing. What is Tandy Newton doing? Yeah. That film? She's just like poor. Uh, that's like oh, her whole her whole character. She's orange. Poor, and then she's just like yelling. <laughs> she's just like yelling in this weird like. It's like she's trying to play ghetto, but since I don't believe that Tandy Newton has ever been to the ghetto, uh-huh. she just sounds... Tandy Newton, I think, is she's from England. Yeah. I think she lived a relatively posh genteel... Upbringing. She seems believe, very yes. posh to yes. me, but it's just like her doing... What did I describe it as? Oh, yeah, it was like poor drag, like a poor, like a drag right. performance yeah, sure, of sure. poor. Yeah, right. just, just way off. Yeah. yeah, it's um, and I I and I kind of I was thinking about for colored girls a lot when watching this because a lot of the noises that she makes remind me of the way that her voice sounded in for so colored girls. We have to talk right about yeah. her performance in Beloved. She plays Beloved, she which is, who is a reincarnated ghost of a murdered child uh-huh. who has is in like an adult body and is yeah. haunting her mother. Right, but it's sort of taken the guise of like sort of a essentially like an intellectually disabled woman who shows up on her porch in a fancy dress with yeah with yeah. bugs all over her. drooling and drooling hacking the bugs are gone yeah. by the time she shows I up. guess she's I like when she has the bugs on her I what I'm guessing is that she's supposed to be like a baby but right, like in right. an but adult they interpret body. her as like oh she yeah. just must be touched or strange yeah. or whatever right. Right. but I th- I think that is the idea is that she is a baby with adult faculties Correct. and so yeah. she kind of like growls and sort of makes like clicking noises and speaks in this very babyish way. It, it is a very 90s Oscar part on paper. It is on paper. Where you're I like, suppose, this allows like, an actor to she's really She's almost go like for Nell it. or something, right? right? Where like she yeah. barely like has language and it's sort of like, what is going on here? This is so showy. And Did you folks read uh, Alison Wilmore's piece on Edward Norton? 
that came out when yes. Motherless yes. Girl came out, which yeah, I think is one of the really good piece. best pieces of film writing I've read in the last well, year. Well, she out, she's outrageous. Yeah. She shouldn't be allowed to work. She's, she's too good. Alison Wilmore? It's an outrage. She owns. Yeah. She but does. that piece, uh, I thought she crystallized something really interesting. The piece is sort of on how inarguably Edward Norton was viewed as the guy by the end of the late in 90s. In the 90s, it was like well, that's when he was in the score. People were like, yeah. Brando, De Niro, Norton, it's three that's generations. a torch being passed. Right, right. right, but you go like from 96 to 99, he makes five movies, gets two Oscar nominations. I mean, it was like he just hit the ground running. Right. And then 99, when Fight Club's coming out, there's the Vanity Fair profile that is like, it's undeniable Edward Norton is the actor of his generation. I believe that's the head. Then he directs a rom-com. Right. That's pretty right. charming. He makes this weirdly charming rom-com and yeah. then does the score and it felt like the anointment moment. Mm-hmm. And then his career like sort of drives off a cliff. And her whole piece. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It gets he Red Dragon strange. and 25th Hour right after that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. The 25th Hour is his last. It's Italian job where he's like, I didn't want to be in this. And everyone's like, the movie's fine. He like, was relax. legally obligated to right. be in the film. And then, and then he's in, that's when he kind of gets into weird zones. Yes. Although, you know, some people like The Illusionist. I, I think he, he gave did good, illusions. The movie I like after For that. For you. Painted the, Veil. Uh, no, the one I think is really good that no one ever talks about is uh, Two Days in the Valley. Oh, oh yeah, I've no, seen no, that one. Down in the Down Valley. Valley. Sorry, Valley. Two Days in the Valley is the, the, is the like 90s yes. thriller. But yeah, 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 Down in the Valley is good. Down in the Valley is really good and he's really good in it. But her argument I didn't see it. is that he I saw spent, the illusionists, saw those illusions. Sorry. Her <laughs> argument was that he spent most of the 90s like trying to live up to the reputation of his first five years and those are the performances that arguably hold up the worst. Right, And it was, they're very... Big and, and it was yeah. when he was all about the capital A acting, where it was about the challenge of what's the difficult thing an actor can right. do and show you how difficult like this is. Like in Primal Fear, he has a stutter. Right. You know, and, yeah. Uh, in, right. In, in, and um, in the score, his like his fake cover is that he pretends to be an intellectually disabled man. That that is part of his con. Right. And she was like, it's the kind of performance where like he wants to call attention to the fact that what he is doing is so difficult and he's playing someone who's doing something And that is also the time when he starts developing Motherless Brooklyn. Like, right. That was supposed to come out like 2004 totally. or whatever. You know. And she was, you know, explaining that used to be this idea of acting was what kind of affliction, right. what different sort of identity that is outside Do of you your own. you know how much he isn't in a wheelchair? Right. Look at him in this movie in a wheelchair. Right, like, that that it's became, acting. Like so much the bar for acting was like, oh my God, Sean Penn, you won't believe this and I am right, Sam. Right, right, right. That it was like those... The, that's of, when it starts to flip, though, right? But where people are like, wait, but wait, But he still wait, gets wait, the nomination. I feel yeah. like a couple years after that, people start going, like, wait, is that cool? Right. But but that it was always viewed as, like, oh, my God, can you believe this? This actor is playing a guy with this, right. you know? Yeah. Like, oh, my God, Javier Bardem is going to be bedridden an entire movie? Right. Like, that like, sort of thing, which now is so, like, out of vogue. It is a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Was like at this point in time, like, oh my God, Tandy Newton has been chosen to play the woman, the adult woman who speaks only in grunts and is constantly <laughs> drooling. Like that was viewed as like, oh, she's going to be a star. And then you watch this performance now and you're like, well, she's really going for it, but it's kind of uncomfortable to watch. I rewatched the ending scene where all of the all the church women show up on the, on the yard yes. and then Jason Robards is there and yeah. then she's like, 
pregnant and she's completely nude. She's naked. Yeah. She's Screaming. got like this hair. She's and the hair is right. She's got the a blanket. Hair is really happening. And then she's doing this thing with her teeth, which terrified me, where it kind of seems like she looked like a cartoon, like a Ren and Stimpy character. Cause like one side of her mouth was going one way, the other side of her mouth was going the other way. Yeah. And like they were just like the teeth were like crashing into each other slanted. And I was just like, how did she even do that to her mouth? That's the thing. Like this performance is undeniably impressive on a technical level. Right. There are things she is doing physically and vocally that I can't even imagine sure, trying to do. she's magnetic. When she's on screen, you're interested in what she's doing, I suppose. And it's effective in how upsetting it is, sure. which is the main thing so. this character should accomplish in the movie, I guess. I guess. Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of like... I don't know. I feel like a more dialed down performance would have been better. I agree. Well, the other thing is that the movie is largely dialed down. Yes. Yeah. This is not a movie that's like really scary. It's not a movie no. that's trying to be like that. It is a Demi movie and it has that sort of like big heart of his. Which I think is And probably... so she is sort of totally on a different chart. I think right. this is probably why she hired Demi because you're right. like he made these two movies that deal with difficult things in a way that is lacking in the sort of sense of self-importance or Hollywood gloss, you know, that deal with like, you know, the trauma of uh, these things with appropriate weight that are sort of graphic without being exploitative. You know, they don't feel salacious and that he was such a good actor's director that yes, he can sure. keep this away right. from melodrama. I imagine that's what she was drawn to. But then Tandy Newton is in a different kind of movie. Yeah. She's going for it. She is in the more conventional sort of Oscar weepy version of this film. Yeah. Jordan, what do you think of Demi in general? Um, I like him. Well, I like his movies um, about troubled white women. Those are that's kind of like my something genre wild of yeah. the world. I love something wild. That's yes. one of my absolute favorite movies. It's I a great love. Film. Love Married to the Mob. We'll watch it at any point that it's on. Absolutely. Um, Rachel getting married, really good. Yes. Um, I'm a little more, I guess, lukewarm on some of his more the movies that people like, you know, give him awards for. Like, I'm not really into Silence of the Lambs. Fair enough. I think that it's good, but I also I think I waited a really long time to watch it, mm -hmm. like past the point to where it was a fundamental like horror kind of thriller staple. Um, but yeah, no, I generally I generally like him, mm -hmm. but I just... <laughs> it, it is this weird run that's like a total outlier in his career because there's like a straight line in like the 80s and the 70s of him building up his sort of voice and his own weird like yeah. tonal balance. Right. And then like Silence, Philadelphia, Beloved, and especially the gap between Philadelphia and Beloved I think is so telling. It's a long gap. Right, yeah. where by all accounts, I, I think the sort of, uh, the, the criticisms of uh, transphobia against silence really hit him hard. He felt very guilty, mm -hmm. and he got Philadelphia off the ground very quickly as a sort of trying to make a corrective film. And then he seemed pretty content making documentaries. He only made one. Between 92 and 98? Yeah. What's the one he made? Oh, boy. Let me look up his film. Didn't he make Cousin Bobby and That's Storefront 92. Hitchcock? So it's just Same Storefront year. Well, it's, it's between uh, Silence and Philadelphia. Okay. And then he makes Storefront Hitchcock in 98. Weird. So he really didn't do anything. He was really chilling. He seemed kind of out. He was chilling. Yeah. And Oprah kind of pulled him back in. And then after <laughs> this. When Oprah comes knocking. But after this, he he like zags again. 
Sure. After this, he makes um, Truth About, about Charlie. Charlie and yeah. Maturing Candidate relatively quickly, you know, like 2002, 2004. Which Truth About Charlie, while not entirely successful, is him kind of trying to get back to the 80s-something wild energy. Goofy. Right. Despite it being a big studio film and ostensibly a thriller, you watch it and tonally it is far more similar to those 80s comedies. Is it good? I have not seen it. It is very strange. It's very strange. Okay. Uh, it's I, far more I interesting. I don't think it's going to settle your opinion on Tandy either. Uh, no. <laughs> you can really go either way with what she's doing in that one. Okay. The only the advantage she has there is that Mark Wahlberg, she seems cool, calm, and collected compared yes. to Mark Wahlberg, who is like, what is, I don't know what I'm, what am I yeah. doing here? What is, is this? Is that supposed to be uh, like charade? It's is charade, right? all right. But why would Mark Wahlberg be? Because <laughs> That's a great question. Will Smith dropped out. Will Smith was supposed to play the role. Oh. Okay. And they dropped out and it they were like, been, who has that energy? They yeah. should have just waited for, they should have just tried to get Will back. Uh-huh. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, you should see it. If you like Married to the Mob else, and Something Wild, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's of a piece of those. And, and it's, it's very in love with like French New Wave yeah. and sort of a weird homage. And like Agnes Varda pops up. And oh things God. like that Anna are happening. Karina. Anna Karina pops Charles up. Aznavour. Charles Aznavour pops up. It's very so, weird. And it's okay. clearly one of those movies where everyone's having a nice time. Yeah. Okay. It's not like, but it's fucking weird. It's fucking okay. weird. But but it it is not a movie that has the sort of important film sort of weight on it that this does. Yeah. But I also feel like this is a movie where Demi is trying to, in terms of having the movie take place at a more modest pitch that he is trying to steer this movie out of the self-importance that I think most filmmakers would attach to it, especially if you're, like, the only person who's ever getting to adapt a Toni Morrison book. Here's one thing. Oprah putting all of her weight behind it. I feel the movie is actually putting energy into trying to remain (laughs) modest in its sort of tenor. Yeah. Here's the thing I just found out. Okay. Peter Weir... Was at one point attached. Interesting. Oh my god! And Oprah fired him because he wouldn't. He didn't want her to play the lead role. Which, like Peter, relax. Like let her play the lead role. She's a great choice for the lead role. Exactly. Seems like a weird line to draw. Maybe he just thought like she's gonna be the boss. I won't be able to direct. Like maybe he was just worried about like power balance stuff. But like, let it's her movie. Yeah. But that's the thing. This is kind of her movie. It is. Yeah. I do think Demi is tra- who has always been like a big collaborator. That's what I was going to say. Maybe another like, reason she me, hires channel, him is he is a notoriously yeah. collaborative filmmaker and she knows that ultimately she wants final say on this movie. And I mean, yeah. she, everything that she's doing, the way that she shot, the way that she's framed, she's great. She's great. Yeah. I, I, feel, I think she's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I she's think, very. It's a very sad performance. Yeah. In, in all the right ways. Yeah. But but it doesn't feel uh, show. It doesn't feel like it a bunch of bullshit. Showy. Yeah. I mean, I kept on thinking about. She's like, good in the color purple too. As we said, she's basically yeah. good. She's whenever fantastic she's in, so. in the color I, purple. Yeah. Loved her in that. I, uh, which I'm, Danny Glover is opposite in that. Yes. He's scary. Right. Yeah. He right. is. Yeah. Uh, I'm always fascinated by the phenomenon of movie stars who uh, have another day job and just occasionally decide to be movie stars. Because, right, in more recent years, as she's dropped into things like The Butler or Selma, she's always good. Yes. yeah. You're like, oh, and you never are like, that's the most, like, one of the most famous people on earth. No. Which is tough, because she's very famous. And even, like, Wrinkle in Time, where she is bug nuts. Well, she's very large. She's she's humongous. She's 100 feet tall. Right. You never, like, you have to pull yourself out of the film to remind yourself, it is weird that I'm watching Oprah 
be the size of seven buildings. She's kind of well cast in that because they're supposed to be like yeah, yeah, no, superstars I, in that weird I'm, way. I'm a wrinkle in time apologist. I really, really like we that are, movie. I, I don't know what Griffin thinks exactly, but we are both definitely wrinkle in time. We're intrigued by a wrinkle I'm fascinated in time. by it. I, I truly could not make sense of it. I have no value joke <laughs> of that movie. I, yeah. it's, it's a very interesting movie. I really, really loved it, but I also saw it. It was I saw it at Alamo Draft House with a bunch of adults, which is it was so weird to see that many yeah. adults there. Like I have three little sisters, so when I go see kids' movies, I'm like, "Am I going to buy this DVD for my sisters?" So that's why. I'm so you there. didn't see it with right. them. You were like pre-screening. Yeah. It. Okay. Yeah, and so it was just like to see all these adults there for like a pretty late screening of yeah. A Wrinkle in Time. I was just like, and then they were mad the entire time that it wasn't what they thought. I was just like, this it's is a weird. challenging film. <laughs> I it's a very strange. Film. I saw it at a theater where it all had, those close-ups. It had clearly been bought out like forty percent of the audience by a church group, and I saw sure. like a weekend matinee right, right. and it was at the Disney theater the El Capitan in LA okay. where before the movie they had an organist play a medley of songs Sounds and nice. they did a laser like indoor planetarium show okay where they like projected stars oh my it was God. very bizarre and the movie had been out for like four weeks so there was like all this pomp and circumstance to like an 11 a.m like Sunday screening wow. that was mostly children That's and amazing. like group leaders. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was very like a nice audience. It was a nice audience. They were very into the movie. I, I just couldn't. It is such a bizarre film in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it definitely is. Love Zach Galifianakis in it. I think he's great. He's in good. It. Yeah. Love yeah. Pine in it. Yeah. I like Pine in it. No, I mean, Pine is like, I feel like the moment where he was, what was it? It was like the Oscars. They were doing a song yeah. from when Selma. He cried and he Selma. was crying. I feel like it, Send a signal to black people, including me. We want this man here. <laughs> like I, I literally remember him being hired by uh, Ava for like yeah. almost because yes, he just like had to, it's like oh yeah he used to date Zoe Kravitz yeah. and now he's now he's crying. <laughs> and Jordan, what is the common thread between the Selma moment and Wrinkle in Time? He's got that hot ass gray beard. He really does. He looks so. Hot. He looks so <laughs> fucking good. He yeah. should. I know. I assume in Wonder Woman. To 1984, he's just like plucked out of time, or he's in her brain, or something. But like, what if you updated him with a little beard? I know. Right? You gave him an update. I would love that. Exactly. That'd be so good. Yeah. Uh, this. Um, I also love that he's Spider Man in Spider Verse. He's good Spider Man. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're like, who's the, like, yeah, Paragon? Who dies. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. This, what were you gonna say? Sorry. So, uh, no, I was. I was watching when I was rewatching the end of this movie mm -hmm. this morning, just so that it was like fresh in my mind. Sure. Yeah. I was thinking so much about have y'all seen Atlantics? Yes. 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 I was just thinking so much about another ghost story. What Maddie Diop could have done with the material. I think like if this movie was made now, she's the person that I would want to do it. Absolutely. Well, that is the weird contradictory. That movie has like, that kind of tactile ghost stuff too. Yeah. 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 Well, I was gonna say it's the weird contradictory nature of like it feels like the best adaptation of this movie. I mean, you were saying miniseries, but I feel like the best adaptation of this movie <laughs> is probably the ultra low budget one mm. where you have to get very creative with limited resources and make something that is more uh, expressionistic. Yeah. You know, in that kind of way. What? Uh, the stuff I like most in this movie is like yeah. when yeah. Danny Glover shows up on the porch. Yeah. Uh, Paul D and she brings him in and he just sees the red light as we were talking yeah. about. It's a very effective and very simple yeah. little cinematic trick. Yeah. But there is a weird thing of, like, the most effective stuff in the movie, and even when you have the scenes where, like, the spirit is, like, attacking the house, there's something kind of charmingly, uh, like, uh, analog 
about those effects where you can tell it's just like pieces of furniture on strings. Right. Yeah, no, it right. moves like a very simple it's sort of It's funny like, because they don't do the poltergeist stuff much after the first 10 minutes. Yeah. And it is because poltergeists are on screen inherently goofy, right? Because yes. it is just like, whoa, like, you know, like, plates flying there's around. There's something right. kind of like charming about how lo-fi all of that yeah. stuff feels in terms of the actual manipulation of the objects in the room and things like that. Yeah. And something like in Atlantics, the most striking thing in that movie is the way she uses mirrors. Which is such a smart, like, no-budget f- solution yeah. for visualizing a very complicated thing mm. that otherwise would probably be done with CGI if anyone was making that story on a larger scale. And it's that thing where, like, this movie shouldn't cost that much. But also you look at it and there are two massive movie stars in it, right, in every scene. Right. And their costumes look so expensive and they're very expensive costumes, recreations. The Oscar-nominated costumes. Right. Yeah. And Holly the house. Would. I mean, all these elements in the film that are supposed to look very ramshackle yeah. are ramshackle in a very expensive bespoke way. Yeah, you that's, know? A, that's a problem that it I have, have with it. It does have that 90s Oscar well, movie like, kind of sheen. Yeah. Reading the book, I think a lot about the feelings and a lot of the the conflicts are internal. Like there's the sense that Denver and Sethi want to be haunted and then right. when Paul D comes he gets rid of that haunting and the reason why Denver does not like him is because that thing that she had that that she somehow made her feel less alone isn't there anymore and she, right. there's just a man here instead right. and I feel like a lot of that stuff that I, dynamic is kind of excised that, and, yeah. and yeah. I think that that dynamic is the root of the story and right. it gets excised for stuff that I don't think necessarily works Denver is just not a character in the film until she needs to be until the latter half until yeah. the sort of the, the scene with her and grandma. Denver is the driving like thing right. in the book right. like how she reacts to things her relationship with Beloved when she realizes that Beloved is actually her sister. That scene's pretty excellent yeah. on, on Elise's part. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. so there's all that stuff. And then, of course, like, Sethi's um, kind of, like, internal thing is this idea of, like, she wants to be happy, but she almost doesn't feel like she deserves to be happy because of what she's been through. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of that internal stuff, I almost feel, um, that, that Demi, I feel gets at in other movies he has trouble getting at it in this movie i think he was probably very tentative about his position as a white man making this film i think he has talked about that he was like sort of intimidated (laughs) when she offered it to him and had to be talked into doing it because he didn't feel like he was the right person to tell the story and only eventually signed on because oprah was so adamant that she thought he was uh so i i think Especially if you're trying to get at the internal life, you know, and it is such a specific internal life that is so specific to like a culture and a history and a place and an existence that is so outside of his own. Um, I I think he probably was afraid to tiptoe too much into it. I think you're right that probably the best version of this movie is a little more abstract with that because Toni Morrison is a writer who is so much about the internal life. And yeah. that is a thing that is very hard to translate literally as, into screenplay. As you said, like the um, the flashbacks are mostly just painful. I don't like yeah. the sort of super saturation that he does and all the, you know, like yeah. the kind of like, can you tell this horrible past is coming back to the right? Like it always right. feels way too like sort of obvious and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I have this issue a lot with like 
kind of like the way that slave narratives, I'm kind of of the opinion that most slave movies are bad just mm. because I don't feel like we've found a good way to make a good one yet. And yes, I include 12 Years a Slave in this. I think it's bad. Um, so it's weird. It was kind of making me think of the flashbacks because I recently watched the Nate Parker Birth of a Nation. Saw it you tweeting about kind this. Kind of reminded yeah. me Which had, of, yeah. of that. That movie stinks. It's no offense to it. real I mean, bad. Offense to it, I suppose. It's real bad. Yeah. But you were also saying. That, oh, has this, another a movie that was made cheaply, obviously, mm-hmm. it was right. an independent film, but uh, also, yeah, has the, the, all those annoying tricks of like dialing up the saturation or things like that just to convey yeah. like this is grim and brutal. Yeah. Hot and sweaty and things like that. Yeah. I just feel like there's something, there's something more like the way that. Um, Setha describes Sweet Home in the book and this idea of like, you know, on the one hand, she's getting to have like a little bit of joy. On the other hand, it's like a terrible situation where she's dealing with these traumas. And there's so much conflict in the way that she recalls that time. And I don't catch any of that conflict in the movie. Yeah, maybe it's partly the Oprah problem or whatever. It's what you sort of have uh-huh. to contend with is that she's sort of becoming the main character. Right. Partly it's just her superstardom. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, what she's driving the project. And maybe that's sort of an inherent problem. It's and, like and you're, I, you're leading too much I on her. I think so much of her drive in making this film is I want to share this story with a larger audience. I mean, she viewed it in the way that she views endorsing any book on her show. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I know about like, after this movie when it didn't go well like she was just it's not even that she was like mad at black people for not coming but she was just like disappointed she was like a teacher it's like I made this thing and it's like really and y'all didn't come out but it's also just like the way that it was packaged kind of like the way that it was done it wasn't it doesn't really ease you in in the in a way that like for example, the color purple did because you know that's that's Spielberg. That's like a his whole a lot of the genius of Spielberg. It's that you can take this really hard subject matter, but he's like he's pulling you in emotionally and uh-huh. he's kind of easing you into the like the harsher aspects. Yeah, I mean, she's talked about when this movie came out and bombed. It was the only time she has ever experienced depression in her life. Well, not the only no. No, she's she's talked about other. Well, I mean, I think that this this I'm was going to read you this quote from Wikipedia. Okay, yeah. <laughs> she, what were you going to say? Sorry. Well, she had she's had some very. I know she's stuff. had a traumatic life. That's why she talked about how she ate mac and cheese all day and gained thirty pounds, and then realized later that she was depressed. Right, but um, I, I do think that this was a huge low point for her, and I mean, I think that that was part of. I talked about this a little bit when I wrote about the women of Brewster Place, where mm-hmm. it kind of feels like. Uh, Black women in those stories kind of had to move to television to get seen. And I think that Oprah kind of after this movie was just like, okay, well, I'm just putting it on TV now. Because I feel like in if we would have asked her like a long time ago, it's like, oh, what are you going to if you're going to make their eyes were watching God with Halle Berry, you'd want it to be on the big screen. And instead, it's not. It's a movie that a lot of people have not seen. It's just a television movie. Well, right. and, and the shift becomes like she will loan her Oprah powers to another filmmaker. She will help assist them sure, in getting the movie right, made. Right. Yeah. You know, she'll champion it, but she's no longer driving the bus on her film projects. Yeah. And she starts acting again essentially when she leaves network TV. 
when she moves to she own and she starts doing hands. the Daily right, Show. Right, 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 I want right. to read you this quote because I know Oprah has lived through a lot in her no, life. I just, I, I understand. I'm sure she said something. This is her I quote. Mean, she literally like left a suicide note. She's. I'm yeah, very okay, aware. All right, all right. Okay. I just want to read you her quote okay, in her own quote, word. The quote. She said, it was the only time in my life that I was ever depressed, and I recognized that I was depressed because I've done enough shows on the topic. Sure. Oh, this is what people must feel like who are depressed. <laughs> I just, I I just have to a, assume she means that's a crazy quote. fame. That's such right, a like, wild thing for her to say. Right? right. Is it insane? She's talked about literally like, I, I was so depressed I wrote a suicide note. I'm very note. aware. I, that's yeah. so weird. That's like if I got famous and then like went on a talk show and it's just like, oh, when this movie bombed, yeah. like, I have never been through any struggle. That's why it jumped out to me because I'm like, this is someone who's been very open with all the traumas of her life Absolutely. and how she built her life and she's the great empath and she's always explaining her own experiences against the I experiences of people on the show. Of course, it's very yeah. She says it's the low point of her entire career I mean, and the I, only time she's ever been depressed. I I think she really thought that this was going to be big. That, she did. Which is crazy. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a, in a mean way exactly. It's just sort of like how the sort of tunnel vision one might sort of get with these kinds of projects because this is not a commercial film. No. Well, it's very long. It's melancholy and it's slow and it's sort of meandering and like it's not plotty. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of. It's I not know, a word of mouth movie exactly. No. It's like a very. I, I noticed this a lot with like when a. When an actor, or director, or producer has this passion project, when it comes right. out, it's always not what they expected. Yeah, the gestation period, right. the tunnel vision, everything. Yes. But there's also this idea that, like, if it's very, very urgent for you to make it, you assume that it's very, very yes. urgent for everyone to see. Which it. is that's a great point. That's that's probably the sort of the way she's thinking about it. But I remember, I found some quote from Demi where he's like, "The movie made twenty two million dollars." It played fine and eventually got pulled from theaters because Disney wanted the screens for the water boy. <laughs> yeah. Which is wild and in Disney of itself. Disney wanted the screens um, for yeah, the water. Which is like, it's a whole other thing to think about. Yeah. Wow. And, um, but like, he's right. Like, this movie, he's you know, like, for played film, like an award right. sort of like prestige movie. He's that like, this movie's a yeah. failure because it cost $80 million right. and was promoted by Oprah. And yeah. Disney. But right. this yeah. film right. making $22 million is kind of bizarre. Right. It's yeah. not a commercial film. Yeah. I, I think the thing was that this was like the, the time between Color Purple and this film. Oprah just has this meteoric rise. And, you know, she was already a big deal, but then she just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger culturally every year after that. And she was this person who could kind of make anyone a star, you know, could make any product successful, could Absolutely make any right. book she successful. Could sort of... She could make careers single-handedly. And I think she believed, even though this was difficult, sure, uncommercial material, that if I devote a week of shows, if I spend months talking about my involvement in this film, that my audience will show up. That my audience is so baked in that they will show up for this. Yeah. I, I, well, I think that's a miscalculation of what people will read versus yes. what they watch. But also there's the fact, and I've, I've been writing about this, so it's fresh in my mind. When the Oscars decided to go from five to ten nominations mm -hmm. is when more black films made their way into the Oscars. Before yeah. that, it was like, I, I think there were only like four <laughs> films with primarily black cast that were nominated for um, Best Picture. I think it was like A Soldier Story, Sonder, yep. Color Purple, um, one other, Ray. I think Ray <laughs> was the other Ray. one. Ray. Um, He's Ray. Um, He's Ray. So it was like, the thing about it is, is that now it's normal to see like all of these like prestige black films of Beale Street could talk and all of these things. But in the time that this was made, it 
did not have the kind of audience or the kind of award space that it would need to really make yeah. an impact. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think that was also like part of the calculus of uh, when when there were black filmmakers making films with black cast, they would always hit a sort of glass ceiling in terms of Oscar credibility where it's like Singleton can get the best director nomination, but Boys in the Hood is not going to get best picture. It's not going to yeah. get any acting nominations, you know? Yeah. And Do the Right Thing can get, like, screenplay, but it's not going to get director or picture, and the only cast member nominated is the white guy. I mean, and in the it, 90s specifically, yeah. there, no black films were nominated for Best Picture. And also, yeah. it was like black people were mostly out of the Oscars in the 90s with yeah. a few caveats, like uh, one or two honorary You're, awards, sure. yeah. What's Love Got to Do With It, and, uh, like, a couple of things like that. But for some reason, the entire 90s is, like, mostly a blank spot and it's an interesting time because that was when a lot of interesting experimental black films were being made on a constant and, basis in the independent Indie world movies, it was kind of cropping up yeah. and you yeah. have yeah. right you have your just another girl on the irt's and right. east bayou and like you know cassie Lemons, more, right and yeah um, um what was the thing i was gonna say uh uh, the the other movie I kept on thinking about in relation to this, not as a film but as like a cultural thing, uh, is Malcolm X, where yeah. the movie's announced and Warner Brothers has hired Norman Jewison, who at that time was viewed as the ally filmmaker. He's the one filmmaker who makes films about black people, you know, consistently. And Spike Lee led this big outcry of like this should not be directed by a white man. And it was like months of sort of like public sort of debate about it and then – Norman Jewison stepped down and Spike Lee made the film and the film was fairly successful, but it also was like viewed as, oh, it's a Denzel thing. And it didn't get the other no Oscar nominations no. that it seemed to get. You know, it was him it's, very it's, deliberately it trying to make a big prestige, movie right, a big a prestige movie. But there was always that ceiling and to some degree. Oprah, who is a very canny businesswoman, I wonder if she thought you need a white director with a proven Oscar acceptance track record uh -huh. to be able to permeate that right. world. Well, that's what happened with Color Purple, so yeah. I understand right. why right. she would think that. Right. Uh, and she got an Oscar animation, of course. And yes. Yeah. Um, let me read you something I found. I've, I found a sort of summary of the coffee table book. Okay. So there's a point at which uh, apparently Oprah, you know, her acting style is, you know, very empathetic and uh -huh. very, right? Like sort of, yeah. you know, emotional. She's an emotional actress. Um, and uh, as Demi diplomatically described, quote, if Oprah had any work to do, it was to not confuse her empathy with how Setha feels. Mm. Uh, there was a scene in which Setha described what feel, freedom feels like. Demi was shooting around her and then sat down with Oprah and said, like, we're going to turn the camera around and shoot Danny today. And we'll do you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And Oprah was like totally crushed because she's like, I know I'm blowing this. Like, I'm fucking this up. Uh -huh. Like, Demi was trying to be like sweet about it, but like. Oprah could tell, like, they were kind of like, she's not figuring this out. She's just being Oprah uh -huh. initially. And then Toni Morrison came to set and watched one scene and said, why are you playing angry here? That character's not angry in this scene. You know, like, she's just watching Oprah and she's like, mm -mm, this isn't how I wrote this. Yeah. And Winfrey freaked out, went to her trailer and, like, started crying. It was like, Tony hates me. And they had to be like, Tony go away you're freaking her out like so like she was in the, waking this yeah. movie she was freaked out she was like i can't get this wrong 
Yeah. It's definitely, this is, it's fascinating stuff. Can I read you this quote that I found that sure. I think is really interesting? This is her talking about the movie in uh, 2013. Demi also says, like, it was her movie. And if, yeah. she, if she felt strongly about something, I was fine to defer. Because talking like, about this very- idea of, like, you know, why, why did she think that this film could work on this budget level at this size as a major Oscar thing, right? In 2013, Winfrey reflected on the film saying, to this day I ask myself, was it a mistake? Was it a mistake to not try and make it a more commercial film? Take some things out and tell the story differently so that it would be more palatable to an audience. Well, if you want to make a film that everybody would see, then that would be a mistake. But at the time, I was pleased with the film that we did because it represented to me the essence of the beloved book, right. which is the weird sort of like nether zone this movie is caught in, which like it's a pretty literal faithful adaptation of a thing that is hard to adapt literally. Yeah. It is pretty unsparing in terms of what it's doing and its lack of commercial concern. It's buoyed by her confidence that she could make anything commercial. So it doesn't sort of play the audience in a way that a more sort of satisfying, weepy Oscar film that probably would not age well would have done at the time. But it also is boosted up by the confidence of her being such an industry in and of herself that she didn't even conceive of the idea that maybe the best way to make this movie is for like $5 million. Right. You know, even if it is with Demi, right. to not burden it with that sort of pressure right. on itself. I mean, another thing I kept thinking about watching this is the the unmade Lynn Ramsey, uh, Lovely Bones, mm-hmm. where she talks about so much that she read that book, she loved it, she bought the rights herself before the book became a big hit. Right. And spent like eight years trying to make that film in her like sort of Netherlands of her career after Morvan Caller and was pretty close to getting it made. Yep, yep. And then Peter Jackson read the book and went, I want this. And Alice Siebold like, you know, ripped up the contract yep. and was like, well, he's Peter Jackson. We have to let him make it. And <sighs> that movie. Yeah. Yep. And Lynn Ramsey talks about what she was like. It was, I mean, that movie is bananas bad. A nightmare. Yeah. But Lynn Ramsey talks about, she was like, I loved the book, but I also understood there was no way to make a literal adaptation of it. Right. And the larger the scale and the budget became, the more you would have to distort what the book was actually about in order to make it more commercial. And she was like, my my version of it was very abstract. Right. Which I think is the only way it would work. And Peter Jackson talks about, when, like, making the film, like, how many of his decisions were business-minded. He was like, well, I love this book, but obviously that doesn't work in a movie that costs $100 million. You know, that immediately that calculus had to happen of like, well, they're letting me use all the CGI. I feel obligated to make a movie that could possibly do well, which is this contradictory thing with a book like this where you kind of can't burden it with that. Which is just such a wild thing to hear from the person who made Heavenly Creatures. I know. But it's like, what a great example of like, you can't go home again. You know, when he yeah. announced that he was making that, you're like, oh, my God, is Peter Jackson going to go back to Heavenly Creatures mode? Right. And then you're like, wait, no. Like, why, why does this have so many special it? effects? Right. Why, it costs right. $100 million. Why is a ship in a bottle crashing through the window or right. whatever? All that shit. Like all this Another shit. movie that Mark Wahlberg seems very anxious to be in. <laughs> He's just like, why am I here? And was also cast <laughs> a last like minute replacement. Right, yes, 10 days yes, before it started filming. Because Ryan Gosling was too fat. Well, he got fat. To make up for how young he felt he was. It was one of those things where people were like, I heard he got fired because he gained a weird amount of weight. And then yeah. people were like, no, he didn't. And then uh, like a year later, they were like, yeah, no, that's what it was. <laughs> it was really weird. He felt like he was too young. Peter Jackson was like, I think you're the guy. Right. He gained a lot of weight and made himself look shitty to right. try to look to older. Look, right. And then Peter Jackson was like, what's your take on the character? And he's like, it's like it's like an overweight, depressed guy. Like he grew a beard yeah. oh and got God. really soft. 
Right. And then he was like, this is not my take on the character, and then fired him. I, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Very weird. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the bigness of the, like, I'm, I think, I keep on thinking about, like, I don't know, like, how I would imagine their eyes were watching God, which I feel like is, like, a very, you know, small, personal story, mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh, my God, what if there was a their eyes were watching God adaptation, like, this beloved adaptation, yeah. like, there's so much, like, ugh. I'm actually surprised there, I guess it's just because Morrison has held on to her rights, but that there hasn't been another Morrison adaptation. Yeah, I I would really like there to be one now. That, I feel like, like now that right, there's a there lot of people lot out of, there who right. could take a swing. Yeah, yeah, and there are just like a, a lot of really interesting black women directors that are making like like Dee Reese making Mudbounds. Like yeah. like I feel like she could do a Toni Morrison. Right, definitely. Maddie Diop, as you said. Oh yes. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. her. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's the time and I kind of, it's just, I mean, I love Toni Morrison and I like cried when she died, but it's like, uh, it would have been so great if we would have been able to get another one like right in that she could see. But I, I think now would be a pretty opportune time to do it, especially so that we can maybe move. Because I mean, yeah. as much as I have issues with Beloved, it was refreshing to watch it because it was not like, all of the movies about cops that I've been seeing lately. <laughs> sure, sure. Very tired of seeing cops. Like, I would just love to see black people do something that has nothing to do with but cops. But there are 21 bridges. There are 21. He's got a close The thing that's wildest <laughs> about 21 bridges, you know this, right? Is that what? there are 17 bridges in and out of New York. <laughs> and the movie was initially called 17 Bridges. Uh-huh. It was about like you got to raise all the bridges right. or whatever. Right. There are also four tunnels out of New York. So if you add it, you got 21 exits. Right. Uh-huh. And I think they, they just suddenly announced that the movie was called 21 Bridges. Yeah, yeah, without explanation. Uh-huh. And what data cruncher was like, audiences like 21 more than they like 17. It Just make been, it happen. It should have been called 17 Bridges and Four Tunnels. <laughs> right, really specific. I Lift mean, the tunnels. maybe it was too close. There was, there was that movie 16 Blocks. Maybe sure. they were right. just like, oh, 17 is just a yeah. 17, 16 box, bridge. 17 bridges, a 18 yeah. tunnels, 19 ferries. Like, yeah. Let's just yeah. keep going. But yeah, I'm just kind of tired. Like Naomi Harris recently, which is another actress oh, yes. that was yeah. kind Black of and like... Blue? Black and blue. Right. right. Tan- like Tandy Newton, Kimberly Elise, mm-hmm. um, Naomi Harris, they were all kind of plugging away at yeah. around the same time. Yes. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my God, Naomi Harris is doing something post Moonlight. Her and first then, lead role ever. And then it's just like, Black and blue, and it's like her and Tyrese, and I'm just, I'm tired. Black and blue is a real crowdsourced (laughs) title, too. You know, because the cops, that's blue, and she's black, we're done, right? (laughs) Have the two of you seen that film? You've seen that film? I have not. Okay, so I saw it in theaters. Is there any reason you saw it in theaters? Because I'm a big Naomi Harris fan. She's great. I love Naomi Harris. And I also, I'm I'm quietly a huge Tyrese stan, largely because of the Fast and Furious franchise. Tyrese is very funny. But I always, like, like, I wish he did more film work. Yeah, and baby boy. I mean, yes. remember when he sort of started acting uh, and it was know, like, oh, this guy's going to be something. You know what great Tyrese movie you should watch? What? Waist Deep. I don't know if you've oh. seen Waist Deep. I, I know I the rewatched movie. it recently because I was reviewing Queen and Slim. Yeah. And Waist Deep is the better Queen uh, and Slim. A, a Vondi- <laughs> I, I believe that. I, I believe it too. Is that Vondi Curtis Hall? It's a Vondi Curtis yes, Hall. I believe it's his glitter Follow wow. like it's his it's, first movie after glitter. It's so wild because glitter is so bad, but waist deep is so good. Waist deep and gridlocked. Vondi Curtis yeah. Hall make yeah. another movie. Vondi. 
Yeah. Casey Lemons' husband, I believe, right? Uh, yes, yeah. he, yes wow. he is. Yes. Uh, I, I want to say, I, I kind of like Black and Blue. Fair enough. Oh, is it good? It's kind of good. Okay, well, I'm going to watch it. I was just like... I'm, I mean, I'm going to watch that shit on HBO. If I was just watch tired. It. Yes. I was just like, okay, I'm going to the movies. I'm going to see this thing about a cop again. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but like, I, that's it's good to hear that it's good. It, it's not great. Sure. But but I is, think it's a pretty but, interesting wasn't balance there also between... Just, Yes. It's, if we can just keep talking about black actors who, who like fully prove their bona fides and then get ignored by Hollywood. Uh-huh. David Ayelowo. Yes. Also, didn't he have a cop movie this year with like time travel or something? Yes, he Don't did. Let it, go? It was called Don't Let Go. Yes. Right. With Storm yeah. Reed of yes. Yes. Uh, Wrinkle in Time. Blue House uh-huh. is so weird. Well, they'll like do a big rollout for certain movies and they're just like, you have to see this. And then yeah. there's stuff like Don't Let Go or Bloom House is like, well... Here it is. <laughs> um, anyway, I think it premiered at Sundance. It was with a, a Sunday, different, different title, title yes. and it was a very different cut. It was called Relive when it was at Sundance from the director of Mean Creek. That's oh, true. Yeah, that is. I did not know that. Everything about that movie is weird, and it was like a weird Blumhouse dump that also wasn't released by Universal, which almost every other Blumhouse film is. Uh, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, the, the the other thing that that guy made was a movie called The Details, which mm-hmm. has a poster where a piano is going to fall on Tobey Maguire's oh, head. Oh, yes, I've yep. seen that one. Yep. You've seen this? Yes. This does not seem like a real movie. No. I watch a lot of not real <laughs> movies. Like, and this What's seems like you would piano? put the DVD and the DVD would be just like it's... playing trailers and you keep pressing menu <laughs> and the DVDs like cannot perform function. You're like, come on, where's the movie? And it just would never play. Well, it's one of those things where like Tobey Maguire is like playing against type as a dick, but then when you find out that he's kind of like a dick in real life, it's like, sure, oh, sure, sure. Not as interesting. <laughs> yeah. Tommy McGuire, Elizabeth Banks, Dennis Haysbert, Ray Liotta, Kerry yeah. Washington, well, Laura Linney. It's one of those like, you know, there are those indie movies. I feel like at the beginning of Sundance, it was like, throw a bunch of actors in a thing and we're going to all watch it. But now it's like, throw a bunch of actors in a thing and nobody's going to watch it. Right. Yeah. Like, in a way, there'll the, be three that they do, but most right. of them they don't. But the more yeah. big name actors in a Sundance movie in a way... The, the more it's signaled that it's probably a turkey. Yeah. You are one with two really good performances. Yeah, I'm thinking <sighs> of one like called like Butter, where it's something yeah. about like a... Sm- yes. I remember oh, Butter. Yeah. It's about yeah. a butter sculpting competition. It was yes. like a blacklist script where that everyone was, in the cast was like a huge name. That was yes. very much yep. one of those that the, the, the uh, Happy Texases, right? right? You know, yeah. where it's like coming out of Sundance or Telluride or whatever and people are like, oh, this is, no, 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 no this is good. And like, like Hugh Jackman's the fifth lead? Uh, yeah, he's the, yeah. I think he's the and. I think yeah. he got an and. I, mean, I feel crazy. like the only recent movie that I can think of where it's like, throw a bunch of people in and it's good is like, Logan Lucky. Love Logan Lucky. I mean, great take. Great, great movie. Soderbergh's yeah. good at that though and when he puts a lot of people in a movie, it's an eclectic bunch like, it yeah. feels like he's curated pretty well. Right. The yeah. cast. Yeah. Loved, loved Daniel Craig's fake Southern accent. Didn't realize that the fake Southern accent is just his thing now. He loves it. <laughs> he loves to put it he on like an old smoking like, jacket. Like foghorn leghorn. Yes, he does. And I'm, and I'm from Georgia. And so I'm a, like, I'm like a cop of like sure. Southern accents. I'm just like, what region are you I, supposed I, I, to He be gets from? away with it where, by just being, there's no, I mean, he's just so, fake. he's so strange. He's and so he, weird. And he commits. To it so much, right? And I also think that he's tired of being boring. I feel like that's yes. his new yes. thing. Now. I think no, he's just like I never want to be James Bond if I can help it. I right, I want to be as goofy as possible. I want to be funny. Yeah. I want to be funny. Uh, here's some other things about Beloved. I want to tell you. Can guys I ask one question very quickly about Knives Out before we move on? All right. 
Why doesn't he have a mustache in that movie? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they put one on him and it, w- it looks terrible. He's looked good with a mustache before. He should have a mustache right? in that movie. Yeah. Watching that performance needs a mustache. Yes, Maybe it does. do you think it's, it's my just biggest criticism because, of the film? Well, do you think it's just because then it's too Poirot-y? Like it's like, what's Poirot famous for? The stash. Maybe you could give him a different mustache. Sure. I'd, I'd settle for a beard or a goatee, a Van Dyke. But you remember how, like, you know, obviously Poirot he's got the mustache. Yes. And then like Finney, when he does it, he's got the little mustache uh Fair Curled, yeah. Right, and then so Brana was like, rather than scale back, we're scaling up. Two like mustaches. my mustache is right. It's exactly yeah, a double layer mustache. Yes. So maybe they saw that and were like, no, we can't top that. I just right, my biggest right. complaint with Knives Out <laughs> is I'm watching and I'm like, that is Daniel here Craig. Some, he needs a mustache. Some, I need to have that face a little hidden. Here's some beloved facts. Okay, beloved Lauren facts. Hill was the original choice to play beloved. Interesting. And had to drop out because she was pregnant. Uh, Lauren Hill often pregnant, obviously yeah. had several children mm-hmm. in this time. An, that would have been and a this really is sort of, interesting take. It would have been. She's great in like the few movies that she's yeah. in. Yeah, she is. Um, and this is sort of the end of Lauren Hill as like major star before she, she begins sort of her sort of public yeah. recluse kind yeah. of right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Right. This was right at the time where she was at the top of the world yeah. before she sort of pulls away. <gasps> Sister Act 2. She's great in Sister Act yeah. 2. Is Sister Act 2 better than Sister Act 1? I is that one of those? I, I think they're different movies. They're I've, different movies. I've only ever yeah, seen Yeah, just two. like d- different um, tones. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, Rachel Portman did two scores for the film, and one of them was entirely thrown out. Wow. I don't know. Okay. I don't have a lot here. That's yeah. actually it's actually all the trivia I found. All right, fine. <laughs> Tak Fujimoto shot it, of course. Yeah. Uh, Demi's the usual guy. Gary Goatsman. I don't know. It came out in October. It made a little bit of money, got an Oscar nomination, and that was that. It is kind of And Oprah ate a lot of mac and cheese and felt really bad. Right. She said, I mean, we'll get to the box house. She said that I've never had a child, and this is the closest thing I have to a child. And that she ate Which is a wild thing to say about a movie that I feel like now the perspective on Beloved is like, it's not a bad movie. It's an interesting artifact of its time. Yeah. It's a bit of a noble failure, perhaps, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, it's not like you watch it and you're like, oh my God, what a train wreck. You right. know, like, it's more just sort of like, oh, I can see why this didn't work. I can see but things you about also, it that you are You never hear anyone ardently defending it. No, but it's not like, it's like, People don't roll their eyes and go, oh, it was an Oprah vanity thing. No, yeah. not sucked. at all. Like, not it, at all. it doesn't have that yeah. tag. And I don't really think her choices were really driven by vanity no. either. No, no, uh-huh. no. I think she just didn't know how to make something small at this point. Yeah. And I, I think she wanted Toni Morrison to have an adaptation that big. Yeah. You yeah. know, I think there was a certain nobility in her saying this needs to be a major film. This I... needs to be a, a major studio picture. Yeah. Um, it, but then you watch the movie and like the second shot in it is a dog being slammed against a wall well, and its eyeball falling out of its socket. The first few minutes, right, with the, the eyeball? Yeah. Uh, the, um, you, the, the, the sort of, uh, the milking yeah. flashback is almost immediate. Yeah, I mean. The, Some of the most intense stuff is very early. The first 30 minutes you're like, this the is a movie. The sort of gushing pee scene, yeah. remember that? This is the signs of the lamb still maker. <laughs> like this is him making the same sort of visceral horror. Yeah. yeah. And then the, bu- I love bugs. Uh, on a person. I love that trick. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, in Candyman, great movie, uh-huh. um, when he has all the bees on him. Those are just yeah. bees. Like, you can't fake that. Yeah. Maybe now you could, but back then you couldn't. So he just has fucking bees on him. What's the 2000 horror movie where the bugs keep on landing on the woman's eye? The bugs keep on landing That's on something the from, like, I mean, sounds horrible. Movie I'm forgetting. Mm. I think you just, like, have evil. to put sugar all over the yourself. The bug lands on her eye bug... and she doesn't blink or whatever. I don't Ooh. know. Yeah. <laughs> it's from uh-huh. something. 
Um, but yeah, it does settle down after that, though. Yeah. Yeah. And that becomes mostly about two people in a house. Two people in a house. Their past. But then there's the very long flashback sequence with uh, the Lisa Gay Hamilton. No, 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 no. Well, oh. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, yes, yeah. yeah. Lisa Gay Hamilton is young, beloved, but uh, uh, the, it, the no, white woman, young, Denver, is not young, beloved. I mean, is young, playing young, young Sethi. Sethi. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's good, actually. She, she is. And yeah. She, yeah and Only she, ten years younger than Oprah. It's kind of a choice mm-hmm. to have someone play that character. Like you compare this to The Irishman, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're like, no, it has to be the same person playing every age. Technology be damned. I love sure. that it's Lisa Gay Hamilton. I do too. She's and I also think that she looks close enough to Oprah yeah. where it yeah. makes sense. It's just funny that, it, like, it, that even, oh, if the character's 10 years younger, you cast a different person. I miss that. Bring that back. Yeah. <laughs> I like having multiple actors play the same character. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, I mean, it's great in Moonlight. I don't. Yeah, it fucking rules. I agree. I, this is the whole thing. I don't mind the Irishman do your thing. It's fine. Like, yeah. give it a shot. But, like, I agree. It's like, we are all used to the cinematic convention of, like, I understand that this is. Younger ex. Yeah. It's it's been done for a hundred years. We're used to it. And I also understand that if you put a shitty wig on Robert De Niro, I'll go, okay, I get it. He's 50 now. Exactly. (laughs) If you want him to play the 50-year-old version. If you want to see him beat the shit out of someone on a curb, maybe you want to hire a young guy. Yeah. That everyone's I I kind of love that scene. No, I mean, I love the movie, but I also saw it like drunk at Alamo Draft House where I where I watch movies in the middle of the night. Uh Um and it was just like I mean, it was so great, but I feel like if I was watching it at home in a Netflix environment where I could pause, then I would have sure. noticed. So now I kind of want to go home and look I'm at gonna it. I'm going to rewatch it on Netflix. Because people have been talking that about goes. that scene, and I don't remember it being. When <laughs> I watched it in the theater, I was like, he's kicking the shit out of the guy. It scares yeah. his daughter. I right. get yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah, then people post the gif, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I see that he's like, yeah, a mile off the guy's face when he kicks him. But whatever. <laughs> but I think that also. James Conn punches the guy in The Godfather and yeah. misses him. Yeah. I think that speaks to the immersion of watching something in a theater where you're like so involved in the story that by the moment a scene like that happens, you are caught up in the context of the thing and yeah. you're not as focused on the details. Whether Whereas if you're watching it on Netflix and it's a three and a half hour movie and you're probably checking your phone a bunch and taking breaks and watching with other people or talking or whatever it is. By the time that scene comes up, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Those are not the shoulders of a 30-year-old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, which flashback were you talking about, David? The, 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 the kicking. The kicking. Kicking. Kick. He's kicking outside the grocery the store. No, 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 no. The, the, in Beloved. Oh, oh, the Lisa Gay Hamilton yeah, oh, oh, Amy Denver. Amy Denver. Right. The, the white woman who saves yes. her. Oh, that man. scene is long Very and crazy. Long. Okay, okay. It's so weird. Out of all of the flashbacks to spend so much time on, yes. the white woman one was yeah. such the weirdest choice to And make. it feels almost like a dream. You're like, who is this character? I, yes. I know it's in the book. I know that's why she's called Denver. It was just Denver. like a weird, and this character is so like big. and Like she was making me think of Amy Poehler. Like yeah. Amy, it's yes. a bizarre performance. Yeah. And, and then it's she's Ethan like, "I've got a boat over here. Like, come over here." You know, but like it's, it's like, yes, all that things happened. But like, in terms of like the things that we need to know about Sefi, that is that right? That's odd. not the traumatic part. Is no. when she met right. a, a wild white lady who had a boat. Yeah. And right. it's like, I mean, that's how Denver was named. But that's something right. that you mentioned in a book. Like, it makes sense in the book, but right. in the movie, it it's really not like doesn't. anyone in the movie is like. But why is she called Denver? Like, also, you know? Right, and it's also just like the milk. Like, what's interesting reading the book is that 
the buildup to finding out about her milk getting taken and her being like assaulted, there's a lot of buildup to it when she reveals it. She's very upset. The aftermath of it mm-hmm. is really huge. Like that's a big reveal. And in the movie, it's just like this weird, bizarre flashback. And it's like, no, this was an assault and this needs time. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. feel so much more stylized than the present yeah, tense. I do not like the stylization. The oh, yeah, no. I, and then I there's do not that like scene the where like Wes Bentley and Jude Chickachella yeah. uh, are looking on yeah. in, in horror at her having murdered her child. Yeah. yeah. That mostly focuses on their faces. Yeah. I, I also think that scene is sort of strangely no, calibrated. I don't I like that too. scene. I, th- I think they're all strangely calibrated. Yeah. The, and, all the performances and are there's also, yeah. um, there's also, we haven't talked at all about Hill Harper, who is kind of like a big deal in the 90s and really is not a big deal anymore. But uh, Hill Harper plays her, plays Hallie, plays her, her ex, the one sure. who deserts her. Yes. And... I honestly feel like there should have been more time with Hill There's Harper. very yeah. little of that. And right. That's the thing. In the book, there is like you learn about their entire courtship. And then basically like, I mean, the movie says this, but like he goes crazy because he sees this terrible thing happen to her. And part of it is because he realizes he cannot protect her. And so that's a whole thing. It's like, oh, I cannot protect this woman. I don't. How can I? build a life with her mm-hmm. if I can't protect her from these right. white people if I can't give her a home if I can't make her feel safe like that's a whole thing and I think so much of Sethi's trauma is like tied up in that that I just think that it deserved more time and there need to be less time with kind of like the sensationalism of it well and they treat it sort of just like a plot twist without ever giving you any sense of who he was as a guy yeah, he he was like a great guy. Like the way yeah. that she like she loved him very much, and like he deserts her. I mean, she's angry, and she has a right to be angry. Mm-hmm. But he deserts her because he realizes how powerless he is as a black man, and how he cannot be the kind of husband that he wants to be for her. And I think that Hill Harper could have done that work if they would have given him space to do that work. Right. It's also <laughs> that thing of like if you show him. At his best, if you have any scenes of him and young Setha where you understand their relationship, right. his absence will mean more to the audience yes, exactly. than just having him exist as a name that's mentioned with sort of resentment. You know, you yeah. want to be able to, like, dramatize why he was important. Yeah. It's also wild that the first scene of the movie is his, is her son's running away. Yeah. Because it's so disorienting to have that be the first thing in the movie. Is that the first thing in the book? I don't remember that being she, the absolute first thing. It's early. It's it's early. She mentions it, but the son's moving away isn't like a super. It's not a big deal. Thing. It's true. No. Like when yeah. Danny Glover shows up, he's like, I get it. You right. Know, yeah, you're gonna move a on sometimes. House. And also, you live in a haunted house, yeah. which is scary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, the son's <clears throat> moving away was a weird way to start it. The opening is just very disorienting mm-hmm. perhaps intentionally and the rest of the movie is not no yeah the rest of the movie is much more ruminative yeah. and like exposition is sort of given out and, mm-hmm. you know albert hall shows up he's good he unfolds the little newspaper mm-hmm. you know like you know i i like those scenes fine yeah. yeah i don't know i don't is there anything else we i like i like the ghost stuff the best just because i like ghost stuff the I ghost stuff is yeah. good there should have been more ghosts and it's yes. the stuff that feels the most cinematic yes yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. that, that's most unique to this work being translated into this medium <clears throat> right right yeah right. let's play the box office game. okay now i know what beat it because when oprah tells her story about how you, depressed she was you don't know you don't know. I know. I think you think you know. Oh, was that not number one? No. It okay, because her anecdote was she said, I just remember that weekend when it came out being told, you're getting beaten by something called Chucky. Yeah. 
and I was so depressed and ate 40 pounds of mac and cheese. 30 pounds. Sorry. Uh, is the but you're telling me the Bride of Chucky was not number one at the box office. It was number two. Okay. Bride of Chucky opened that week to $11 million. Okay. It's a fun movie. Yeah, good film. John Waters is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in two Chucky films. He's also in... He's in Seed or... Seed of Chucky. Yeah, one, it's a fun one, movie. Yeah. Um, that movie came out. It made $11 million. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to guess the top five of the... Uh, Griffin's a creep who knows uh, the box office from every single yeah, I weekend. Li- I like to creep on those box office charts. <laughs> okay. uh, so Beloved opened at number five. It's at number five. It opened to $8 million okay. in mid-October. Mm-hmm. Crazy. It ended up at 22. And Demi sort of says, a regular performance. Demi Noper say that the claim was the film was not connecting. Uh, Disney had the Waterboy, which was coming out, was tracking very big, so they wanted to hand over screens. Yes. And what they promised Oprah and Demi was that they were going to take the movie out of theaters primarily and then when they expected that the Oscar nominations would come in, they would re-release it. Which they did do, but much smaller than probably right. so they re-released it in March after it had only gotten one nomination, which is Best Costumes, and it did an additional, like, $300,000 at number 12 at the box office, and then was done. Okay. But opening weekend five. Okay. And Bride of Chucky, indeed, number two. Number A new two. comic take on the Chucky universe. It was beaten by Chucky, just not in first position. Correct, exactly. Okay. But number one... I just like her saying something called Chucky. Number one is a movie that... I really like. Ooh. Um, based on a book. It's a new movie this week. Okay. Two actresses. What did, what did you do this weekend? 13. 13. It's not a huge weekend. It's October. Yeah. It's October. It's not like a hot time. It, it is a spooky movie, sort hmm. of. But, but it's not a horror film. Horror is too strong, okay. I would say. Spooky. It's spooky. Uh, it made $46 million in America eventually. Okay. Based on a book, two women star, two female stars. Is it Practical Magic? It's Practical Magic. It's Practical Magic. What do we think of Practical Magic? Never seen it. R- rude. I know you love it. It's a, it's a wine, yes. let's, let's bring the girls in. It's, it's a Nancy Myers movie, except it's <laughs> yeah, about two women magic. who can't stop killing and resurrecting their boyfriend. Well, I've always said Griffin Dunn is the wino Nancy Myers. Um, genuinely, like, both of them are basically like, I just keep either killing or resurrecting my boyfriend. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these dark forces that I'm allied with, they're really fucking up my uh, plan to raise a kid and live in a nice house. Sounds pretty impractical to me. So good. Um, so Practical Magic. Okay, number one. Uh, with, San- with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman more in like sort of her like, you know, sort of sultry phase, like mm-hmm. 90s Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. right? Uh, number three is an animated film. Okay. I'm just giving you that to see if you Ants? Yes. I figured that's all you needed. Yeah. Ants. Man, that that soundtrack was burning up my disc, man, at that point What's on the soundtrack? The score for Ants? <laughs> Listen to it all and, and the who time. who composed the score for Ants, Breakdown? <laughs> Ooh, great question. <laughs> That's a movie that I have trouble rewatching as uh, an adult. Oh, oh, I did too. Oh, is there anything up with that? Wait, yeah. is there anyone weird involved with it or anything like that? I mean, it's also just like a very sexual movie once you realize, like, once you're an adult and you realize what everybody's talking about and specifically who is talking. And then it's just like, kids watch? It's I will say this. so insane that kids watch I think movie. it's a well-written <laughs> film written by Chris White and Paul White. Yes. Uh, it is very bizarre. Katzenberg was famously on one in the 90s about Trying like, to fuck Pixar, right? Right. Like he, when Pixar came in with Toy Story and he was like, oh my God, here's a new animation studio that doesn't have the reputation that Disney does. He was like, I want to make a very adult animated film. Uh-huh. And he almost fucked up Toy Story and then they backed off and reclaimed control over it. So then when he goes over to DreamWorks, Ants feels like him being like, see, this is what I was trying to make the whole time. And everyone's like, okay. 
Uh, it also looks terrible. <laughs> it looks real cruddy. They which rushed is part it. CGI, obviously. They wanted yeah. to beat A Bug's Life even though they started animation a year after Bug's Life. And now A Bug's Life isn't even really that well regarded. So all that No, effort. it's crazy. Although A Bug's <laughs> Life loves it. slaps. Oh, um, yeah. But uh, yes, Ants is very weird. Number three at the box office. Okay. Who are the composers? Two. Henry... Gregson Williams? Well, Harry. He goes by Harry. Harry sorry, sure, okay. But yes. That's one of the two? Yeah. Fuck that. I, I mean, give me some credit for getting one of the two. It's good job. The second one, more or less of a name. Similar. It's not It's not David Newman? No, but that vibe. It's not David Denby? No, that not thing. David. Just like a David Newman type. Oh, He's still working. He's a guy. He's like a replacement level composer. He's a replacement level composer. You know what I mean? And not to be rude to him, I've actually liked some scores he's done. Has he ever gotten an Oscar nomination? Now that I'm going to have to look up. Once. For Once. his best score. And then another animated score. It's another animated score. Yes. And it's not a Disney or a Pixar, I would imagine. Um, DreamWorks. Much like this. It's a DreamWorks. Was it Prince of Egypt? No. This is taking too long. It's John Powell. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, this is actually not that interesting. Yeah, it's not that interesting. Uh, it's John Powell. He did the How to Train Your Dragon score oh, with all the bagpipes oh, and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I love How it's to Train nice Your Dragon. It's a nice score. That's a good score. That's the thing everyone loves in that movie, right? Uh, yes. People yeah. love that score? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're a total freak. Anyway, Woody yeah. Allen's the star of the movie. It's fucking insane. Yep, very um, bizarre. And but also Sylvester Stallone, Jennifer Lopez, Gene Hackman. It has like a completely Christopher Walken, yeah, Ann yeah. Bancroft, Crazy. Sharon Stone. Everyone's like playing. It's about that. ants. So weird. So uh, weird. Danny so Glover. Weird. Danny Glover. <laughs> and I remember the scene where he has to become like a soldier ant yeah. and they have to go fight the termites and the termites are like 10 times bigger than them. Yes. And I was like, this is, this is wild. Like this is kind of grim. Dan yeah. Aykroyd and Jane Curtin play wasps. Yeah. But the, the joke is that they're wasps and also they're wasps. They're like wasps. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, which is... is it's a pretty good choice. I remember Actually. they eventually get like stomped by a sneaker. It's really weird. Uh, it, the skirt's pretty good. Um, number four. Okay. Is a big comedy, a huge comedy of the year, action comedy. Rush Hour? Yeah. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Rush Hour. Running the Jackie table. Chan, Chris Tucker, Tom Wilkinson. Of course. I don't remember How who else is in Rush Hour. How do you know these so quickly? Oh, sick and disgusting. He's a, he's a terrible person. Go, to, go right to jail. Yeah. <laughs> It's, no, he can tell you how he knows. It's actually cute. The, well, well, yeah. My dad, my dad, my dad loves sports scores. Read them with my brother. Uh, I didn't like sports. The equivalent became me and my father reading the box office together every Monday morning before I went to school. Oh, that's so cute. It's very burned in my memory because their emotional connection. And I still, it's it, not mostly what my father and I talk about, but we're still constantly talking about the box office. Although David and I do that now as well. We we spend we an hour on a about the Saturday movie. night texting about the box office performance of the Playmobil movie. Oh my, yeah, that movie. That movie. It, have you seen it? I have not, have you? No. <laughs> I kind of want to now, only because it's belly flops so hard. I don't know why they why they decided to make it, especially because like the second Lego movie didn't do well. Well, the second yes. major Lego. Right. Like, if you think Lego of it as the Batman. fourth Lego movie, it, it makes more Ninjago sense. Ninjago right. didn't yeah. do well. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, only two of them did well. Should have right. stopped at Lego Batman. Lego Batman was great. 
Uh, Lego Batman's a masterpiece. Yes. Uh, thank you for your perfect opinions. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I they announced this movie right after the first Lego movie got made. Oh, my and God. And the Plain Bowl movie has gone through like six directors and 27 writers and four release date shifts. It's so funny because I didn't know what it was. And um, I, I moved in with my boyfriend and he put like these like little figurines on the bookcase. They're Playmobil? And I like I took a picture of them and I was just like, Kyle has Legos. And then somebody was was just like a bunch of people are going to get very mad at you that wow. is Playmobil. And wow. I was like, I don't know the difference. It's wow. just little people. Yeah. Little, little people with faces. <laughs> Different faces, though. I did not know that they were a thing until somebody on Twitter told me. So. Mostly a European thing. I never had Playmobil. Oh, see, I had a ton of them, but I, I attribute that European. to having a European mother. A French mama. Yeah, yeah yes. Kyle spent a lot of his time in the Netherlands, hey, which maybe explains why I think that's where them. they're from. Yeah. Here are some of the other movies. It was It's just a great 90s week. Okay. Practical Magic and Bride of Chucky yeah, being great. Very 98. Yeah. And Ants. On a, all yeah. of them. Rush yeah. Hour, everything. <laughs> yeah. What Dreams May Come. Oh, Robin Williams goes to heaven. Oh, I've seen that and one. And it's like a big old gloop. Another big gloops. like passion project. Sort of yeah. belly flop, although it did better. Yeah, it did okay. It. It's, yeah. it's a it's, really it's, it's kind not. of a dreary movie. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Uh, a Night at the Roxbury. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a whole movie. <laughs> I mean, guys from the sketch. Yep, a movie yeah. I loved. I would be scared to rewatch. Um, who made it? Well, the credited director is like someone, but the actual, I, I believe the story now is that Amy, Amy, Amy Heckerling actually right, directed right, it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right, yes, I've seen yeah, and all the stuff going yes. on with that. Yeah. Uh, Urban Legend. Oh. What if there was horror about those stories mm. that you hear? I love bad horror franchises, and I can't deal with Urban Legend at all. It's the, below it's, even It's you, a little, the yeah. concept is just ungraspable. It's like, it's kind of, Urban Legend is kind of like Candyman, and that it's like academic, right? It's like, yeah. she's a student, and she's investigating these stories we tell. Mm -hmm. But Candyman is like, she's investigating a specific folktale. Right. And Urban Legend is just like, like, you know, like the story of like, there's a guy in the back seat, like that. What if that was a horror guy <laughs> the who most, kills you? The most like, interesting thing about those movies is that Loretta Devine is in more than one of them. Weird. <laughs> Urban Legends Final Cut. I'm trying to remember the other Urban Legends. Yeah. Yeah, she's in the first one, and she's in the second one. Fair enough. Yeah. And then Ronan, uh, sort oh, of an yeah. underrated, fun, you know, dumb, yeah. but also dumb, smart action movie, right? Yeah. And then Holy Man. Holy Eddie Murphy man. as a guru. I've never watched that all the way through, and it's I also mix it up a lot with The Golden Child. Mm. <laughs> sure. That's true. He's made sort of multiple <laughs> special, like, I'm the special one movies. That yeah. felt like, too, like, he was on such an incredible comeback run, because, like, the yeah, first half of like the 90s were not good Doolittle, for him, right. and then it was, like, Nutty Professor, and, Dr. Yeah, Doolittle, yeah, yeah. Eddie's back, oh, right. fuck, what's this? And then he makes this movie with, like, the, the barcode yeah. poster. Who's into this? Every 10 years, the Love Guru is another one where yeah. they're like, let's do a guru movie. No one likes Never gurus. Works. No. Yeah. Even if you're making fun of them. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we're done. Holy man. We did the box office game. Yeah. We're done talking about Beloved. Yeah. It, it is. I think it's. It's it, it's I think it's an interesting movie. That's a, I sort think of it's what an I okay give movie. It. I think yeah. that there are fascinating things about it. There mm -hmm. are good yeah. performances in it, but mm -hmm. it does not all the way come together. I was sort of firing it up, not knowing quite like, but I was like, you know, who know, this? I know there are people who value this movie. There, I've definitely heard people like sort of stick mm -hmm. up for it, and I was like, oh yeah, maybe this is one of those kind of buried gem type movies, mm -hmm. but not not quite. No, no. 
No. And you're like, you know, probably the thing now would be for Oprah to get rights to uh, yes, and more some works like from the filmmakers and yes. hand them to people and do them on own as miniseries. And, right. I know. desperately want her to produce movies again, mostly because of the two-headed monster that is Lee Daniels and Tyler Perry driving me insane. <laughs> must be slain. We need to throw a woman in there. Uh, yes, because I'm with just that. like I'm tired. Also, did you see? I, I mentioned this. Bef- I think before we started recording mm-hmm. that Lee Daniels is doing the Terms of Endearment remake with Oprah, and I'm just what? like, yes. why Lee Daniels? Of all now people, this, can someone please stop him? Are they doing it for TV or <laughs> no, theatrical? No, theatrical. they're doing it theatrical. And now, who's playing the daughter? Have they announced the, the, it? They the have only not person announced. attached is Oprah. Like, God wow, knows. You I know, did not know this. But um, he is currently made, he's filming a Billy Holiday movie that I believe is due out this year. I mean, next, th- this yeah. year when okay. it's 2020. Yeah. yeah. With who playing Billy Holiday? Um, someone, uh, Andra Day. Oh, yeah. She's like big in like uh, kind of like theater music circles gotcha. and stuff like that. Well, so I'm assuming she's being chosen for her uh-huh. talent. For her singing. Her yeah, yeah, she can sing. Uh, but Trevante Rhodes is in it. I love um, him. Divine Joy Randolph is in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. My, uh, Natasha Leone is in it. Hey. Yeah. Okay. N- uh, Natasha Leone really getting around these up. days. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's back. You know, in, in the terms of making world. movies, yeah. but yeah, yeah, they've been, but he's been producing stuff. It's like him and Tyler Perry are like the big two. Like they throw their weight behind something; it's yes. going to happen. And then Oprah does it every once in a while, but it's almost like she's just like a little gun shy because of what happened with Beloved. I think but, it yeah. might be. Did she produce Selma? Was she like an executive producer? On she that? was. Okay, yeah, she was. And like in Selma, like that's the kind of stuff that I want from her. Yes. Selma is great. She's great in Selma. And Selma, it's her finding a very like in any director who's right. never made a movie of that scale but is obviously talented. Getting yeah. them into the studio system. Yeah. You want her to sort of extend her power in that kind of way. Right, because I think like in terms of like Own, Own has been really great in terms of getting a lot of like female filmmakers into direct episodes of Greenleaf right. and Queen right. Sugar and it's just like okay, like put them on right. <laughs> the big screen. Right. You sort of have a farm <laughs> team now who you should be able to. I forgot yeah. the yeah. other movie she recently produced was The Hundred Foot Journey. Yes, I did. I did see that, and I was confused by that. Was that a book club? It was a book. Okay. So I assume she optioned it. Yeah, Um, wow. uh, Uh, She loves those books. The only movies Harpo Films has produced, Beloved, Great Debaters, Precious, Mm -hmm. 100 Foot Journey, Selma. And Precious was her and Lee Daniels coming on as producers after the movie was bought at Sundance. I believe that's right. That was the weird thing was it was like— it was Push. Right. It was like the Never movie. Never forget that that movie had to change its title because of the superhero movie Push. Starring Chris Evans. Yes. Yeah. Everyone's favorite, third favorite Chris Evans superhero <laughs> franchise. But yeah, I, I came like when I decided to come on to talk about this movie, I came on ready, guns blazing, beloved, best movie ever, right, right, underrated. Right, right, and then, right, like, right. Yeah, 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 and yeah. then like, and then like I, and then I rewatched it and I was just like, not quite, but I'm glad that we're talking about yeah, it. Glad we're yeah. talking about it. And not, if you want to revisit it, you'll, there's things to find in it. There are. Yeah. Uh, and thank know. you for so much for coming on yeah. this episode, Jordan. Oh yeah. Uh, people should listen to bad romance pod. Uh, you and Bronwyn and Ariel Isaac, who is a great comedian. Yeah, and we, I'm trying to think, by the time this episode comes out, we'll have already done our live show because it's in January, but we're doing a live show where we're doing uh, Love Actually. We're doing Love oh. Actually at Union Hall. Hell yeah. <laughs> so after, so I, I mean, I hope that you went, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a film that I, I presume, if you're covering it on the podcast, you have similar opinions to David and I. <laughs> yes, It's yes. a toxic waste dump we, of a movie. <laughs> Yes, we're, yeah, we feel the same way about it. It's a psychological hellscape. <laughs> yes, yes, very I, much I so. I despise that movie. 
But fun to rack, fun to bounce yeah. ideas off of that one. Anyway, thank you anyway, so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for, uh, Thanks for having me. People yes. should follow you on Twitter. Yeah. What do you? What's your handle? Do you, it's it's a, at J O U R D A Y E N. There you go. Because the proper spelling of my name has been taken since 2009. No. <laughs> but you know, maybe, aren't they going to free up some they of those are. dead accounts? I am waiting that. to wow. get my name. I saw that. I want to like petition someone and be like, hey, hey, who do I talk to to get oh, David Sims? Because you're David L. Sims. Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. I mean, I've gotten used to it. It's my middle niche. But well, yeah, follow fine. me on Twitter. There's a picture of me at, when I'm three years old. Yes, I got glasses when I was three years old. Nice. You can see that. It's very cute. Uh, and you're writing all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm writing. I'm doing Steven Universe recaps at AV Club right now. Nice. Um, writing about, uh, by the time this will be out, my Queen and Slim piece will be out. And I'm mm. working on some other things. And the piece that I kept referencing about this decade in black film will be out by then. Definitely check that out. Yeah. Very exciting. <laughs> Very exciting. Uh, and It's a new decade now. Right now? I mean, when this oh, comes by the time this, that's yeah. cr- we'll be in the a new decade. Twenty twenty, everything sure. will be so clear to it's us. It's going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> things will go great. Yeah, uh, anyway, I think it's going to be instantaneous. Yeah, I think right. the ball will drop and everyone will go. Oh, what's wait, all this, this money in my bank account? This wow. is how we should behave. It all makes sense. All right. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Guda for our social media, Lane Montgomery for our theme song, Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Go to blankies.rat.com for some real nerdy shit. Uh, Next week, talking truth about Charlie with David Lowry. Hey, (laughs) hey, you fooled everyone. I tricked you. Uh, He's back on the show to talk about that incredibly, incredibly strange movie. Very strange film. Uh, and what's, what's keep keep trucking keep trucking with Demi. Yeah, keep trucking with Demi. <laughs> are we are we on to Toy Story commentaries by this point? Or are we still in Star Wars? We're no, still we're still in Star, Star Wars. Wars. Check out the Patreon. We're talking wars, baby. Yeah, we're back in the wars. Maybe we're going to Disney World soon. I hope so. Yeah. God, we have to talk about this. Great. All right. Yeah. End the episode. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening. Yeah, and yeah, as fine. always. We got to talk about Disney World plans now. Okay, bye. (laughs) The best thing about that movie is that the girl who sings All I Want for Christmas is You goes on to voice Marceline on Adventure Time. Really? That was my introduction to her. Marceline, the vampire queen. Yeah. Wow. I met I we met stand. her at Dragon Con and oh. I, I fangirled out. <laughs> wow. See, I'm a Princess Bubblegum guy myself. Bossy yeah. round face. Bossy round face. Yeah. Good ruler. Tries uh, to be. Good ruler. Tries to I don't be. know tries about to that. Be. Tries to be. <laughs> okay. Look, all of her citizens are candy. She, yeah. she, she learns. She learns. Yeah. At one point, yeah. she turns back into a baby. She's got to contend with that. I'll totally Just come, to regrow I'll, herself. I'll come back to talk about Adventure Time. Okay. 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 Let's do it.